Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of January 2021. And as always, I like to say that I hope most of you, because I don't know what what, what can all (laughs) feel great at this time, but most of you are getting through uh, the crisis, the manufactured crisis that's uh, across the whole planet right now and uh, coping with it some way or another. And I hope too, as I've said before, that folk are starting to realize you'll need each other in small groups to get through this long, long term agenda. I mean long term, because everything to do with sustainability hinges. The climate agreement that was knocked back a little bit there, every other agreement was kind of, kind of put on hold for a few years there, is back on track. But the, the whole point of the climate agreement and it came out from the different groups involved over many years, and the Club of Rome especially, I was rather open about it, was to blame humanity. You're the problem for the climate um, changes, even though you've always had climate change on and off in different ways for probably millions of years. So that doesn't matter, though. An agenda is an agenda, and there's too many people. That was the what they settled on at the Club of Rome, uh, causing the problems. And so obviously, therefore, the, the, and I've said this to the climate agreement meetings, the COPs, they call them, conference of parties that they have, were having every year, with starting with the Paris Agreement. Uh, they, they said that... Uh, Basically, there's too many people again. So again, they keep saying the same thing over and over and over. Sustainability, too many people. Well, how would you get them to stop doing it? Well, they said at the last 2019 meeting, the climate change meeting, they said that the people were not listening to them to do with sustainability. We're still consuming and all the rest of it, consumer society. And something more drastic would have to be done. Well, bingo. In 2020, you got their answer. You see their Pearl Harbor event, and away we go. Uh, so instantly, the economy's crashed, <laughs> which kind of stops consumerism, doesn't it? And plus, people are getting locked down, and, and these big spurts of lockdowns, which are intended to go on for years, by the way. And uh, out of the end of it, look, we had a vastly different society with a good many people being on perpetual. Uh, Income from the government, basically. It's sometimes called universal basic income. That the UN floated years ago, because the World Bank is generally behind any financial decisions like that to do with economies and so on. And the Bank for International Settlements. So they came out with that years ago, and they're doing it again too. Universal basic income. How do you get the people just to stay on? Stay up while you bring them a crisis. You stop them from working. They can't work anywhere else. So you've got a good chunk of the population on universal basic income. A type of communism, remember, in a sense, because regardless if you're working or not, and you're getting money from the state, then that's how the centralized system in the Soviet era actually worked. You know, the state supplied the wages and so on. Or the income, and here you go again. There's nothing that ever happens that hasn't been done before in some form or another. It's just that we're, most folk can't recognize what they're, going, what they're living through at the time. It's like communism. As long as you don't use the word communism, folk won't connect what you're living under now in some countries. Socialism, communism... It's all the same kind of thing. Stalin said that, that communism was just socialism in a hurry. 
And, and that's what you've got. And of course, the ones behind all of that are the richest folk on the planet, because uh, as a technocrats, it's far more efficient to have people in a one-party system doing what they're told, as they do in China. That's why they really favoured the Chinese system for the world. And that's not from me, that's from the, their, their own admissions and the Council on Foreign Relations, you know. The so-called establishment members. So, and you can see their point of view if you believe in totalitarianism, or a form of oligarchical control. It does make sense from their point of view, because having to cater to folks' rights is an awful nuisance. And you have to go round things and delay things, even stop certain things, certain plans that you have, because... Dash it all that the folk have rights, and isn't that a nuisance? And so under under emergency powers, which is a form of martial law, actually what it is, Emergency Powers Act, all your rights are suspended, if you've noticed. And that's why they brought in this, this again, along with the COVID, suspension of all rights, crashing the economy, which is a war act. That's what you do against enemy states. You try to destroy their economy. Well, literally by order of decree by your own governments, they stopped all the economy and put thousands and thousands, maybe even millions of small businesses across the planet. No doubt about that. Maybe even billions across the planet complete out of business altogether. Never been done before. World wars didn't stop the economies and, and declare that certain things were essential, non-essential like that. But it's been done under the guise of an invisible threat the most folk apparently, if, if you get it, you won't know you've had it, and, and you're, you'll have antibodies against it in no time at all. And as all medical studies have always shown, including this one too, your naturally acquired antibodies uh, are far stronger and longer lasting than anything they can ever inject into you. you know. So, are caused by anything that they can inject into you compared to that. So, yeah, natural immunity is definitely good. Uh, and it's very telling to me because, like everything else, as I mentioned since 2001, you, you, the hardest thing would be to hold on to your sanity as you go forward. Because big changes were made to be, and, and to be implemented and planned to be implemented. And you're, li- you're living through them as they're implemented. All kinds of them, social changes, uh, changes that make you kind of laugh in the beginning and, and then make you rather scared because you see that you're being taught uh, and told. You better accept what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. It's what they tell you you're seeing. And they back it up with laws now and, and all kinds of uh, nonsensical psychological warfare terminology like hate, you know. So if you, if you see certain things happening or, or even been told to, to not, not to call something what it's called already and always has been for a good reason uh, by your own governments, then you're in trouble, aren't you? You're, you truly are in a, a strange or, Orwellian system, which, uh, I mean, Brave New World was more passive the way that they managed the people. And they, they drugged them a lot too, of course, with their happy pills and, and lots of orgies, etc. But... But in the, 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 the George Orwell's uh, 1984, you, you definitely had the, the, the boot stomping in the face you know, of the peasant forever, the average person forever. That's what I've got happening now. You're being told by the authorities under martial law systems, emergency powers, to obey, no matter how ridiculous what you're being told to obey happens to be and how detrimental it is to society, psychologically, economically, and every other way too. 
and you've been taught, you know, to go along with this, even though the science, I think Dr. Vernon Coleman and others too, and I've said the same thing, you can't, science has got to be verifiable with testing and repeated tests and so on by other independent agencies. And that's how you come to empirical data by constantly re-examining it and so on and doing the same test and finding out what your results happen to be using the same formulas. Uh, and of course that's not happening, as you well know. And yet you're told by the, 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 the sources of information, the so-called official sources, contradictory stories and lots of maybes and possibilities. This, that's, when you get that, that's not science, that's opinion. And so it's a big agenda. But even the Lancet, the British you know, journal, the, the medical journal, not the BMJ, but the, but the Lancet itself, it's another magazine they used to put out for the British health industry, talking about jumping on board with, the, with the, the, the reset, the great reset idea, and the chance to renew everything and get back on track with the climate agenda, etc. And... Um, all the things to do with fossil fuels, it's all the completely politicized. A, a magazine that's supposed to do with just basic health, totally politicized for a, a political agenda. Just astonishing to see that coming out too. Uh, so openly, I should say, because years and years ago I mentioned that everything's politicized. You don't realize that when you're living through it. I mentioned too that, like Jack C. Lull, who's a great philosopher, in fact, who wrote the book Propaganda, you know, about propaganda, you see, and how it's been used for forever by experts. He touched on Bernays, of course, who really used his techniques and marketing skills for pro- propaganda purposes for governments and private corporations. But Alal said that you're brought up with, it used to be novels, you see, novels were the big thing before you got radio, then television, and then you had all three combined. But whenever you see anything to do with police and detectives and so on, it says that's propaganda. You've been given a fake reality of what it's all about, what policing's all about, and detective work's all about, to make you to make you believe that they're all out there for you, you know. And he said the same thing with medicine. He said television dramas, series, and things like that, which were awfully important in the 60s and 70s and 80s. All they identify with the characters in the hospital. They can't sleep at night because, you know, they, they, they want to get up in the middle of the night when an idea hits them to cure this or that patient. They're just, not, they're not in it for the money or anything. And, you know, and same, same with pharmacology. And in those dramas, too, they bring in pharmacology, the latest drug. Oh, my goodness, and everybody's crying. And it just cured this, 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 this family's little boy or girl. He said the same thing. This is how propaganda works. It's mainly through fiction, and and it's so much, so much padding of every story that you see through fiction, whether it's a movie or TV drama. It's so much padding of political correctness, the latest updates on what's now normal. You see, and what now you should think of this that maybe you thought something before. Yeah, so your opinions have to drastically change to be acceptable within society and your peer group who are all being altered at the same time by their masters, unknowingly a lot of them, you know. And that's how it works. It's quite a simple thing, and, but it's, it's so prevalent through everything, absolutely everything. And you can actually see, if you look back in old movies, 
you can see uh, like wave changes. This is the next wave for this change, next wave for that change. Uh, coming into to the actual movies themselves, very innocently at first, and generally initially, if, if it's due with, if it's due with sexual, uh, anything at all to do with sex, or even genders and so on, it's, it's introduced through comedies. That's how it's, it's done because it seems inoffensive somehow. You laugh at it as if you're laughing at something that can't be bad, you know. And initially, that's how you get. It's always done the same way through starting with comedy, but when you look into the, the Department of Culture. In every country, I see many years ago. I say, well, why does every country under the United Nations have its own Department of Culture? If you are the people and you are the culture, why would you need a Department of Culture? Well, it's to, it's to guide the people into culture and to, to change it and direct it and direct to change. That's what it's for. And they give incredible arts grants out under, under, that, under the guise of art. To all kinds of novelists, uh, script writers, and movie writers, screenwriters, and so on, and to, to, and they get paid extra bonuses to and with lists of things to insert in their stories, and that's why you often say, well, "What has this got to do with the story or that?" And it's got nothing, except propaganda and indoctrination uh, purposes. But you're growing up through with it. You've had it your whole lives, and most folk don't realise it. Unless you're wary for a reason, most folk, being natural, can't believe that, that that's extents. They think they're free, remember? Remember what Bertrand Russell said, that people will keep thinking they're free because their government tells them they are so. So simple, isn't it? And they used to always point to some enemy, some dark nation over yonder, uh, that was under an iron, uh, beyond an iron curtain type thing, as... My, those people have no rights and freedoms, and that's why they keep you back home thinking that you did. Which is mainly bogus, too. You had a little bit more extra leeway, but, you, but the, the same forces were still uh, in action. But monitoring and noting, you know, mainly in the West as well. But now you're seeing it uh, full-blown in the lockdowns. And and this, this astonishing fulfillment of what I knew back in, oh, even late 80s into the 90s, simply through bits and bytes, like everybody else was getting bits and bytes of information. But I wasn't into computers. But I did read an awful lot of newspapers, magazines, and and books for sure. And you, you would get the, the gist of, of what was to come without often explanations of why they must come. And before you even got, oh my God, the, the, you've got to get a computer. That was the, 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 that was a message in all the mainstream media at the time. Although, isn't it naughty? There's all this pornography on the computer to entice folk into getting them. That that was one of the big techniques that the marketers used. And now it's quite normal. Most folk are growing up with pornography, and all age groups use it apparently. And it affects them because whatever is introduced into your society is the same evolution and so on, and sociology will affect society, alter society, just like basically cars alter society. The very fact you could just jump in a vehicle and move, and it became within the reach of other people. You know, if you even get used in second-hand ones, but you could go a long distance in a car where you couldn't really do with it with a horse so easily. And most folk couldn't afford a horse at one time because they're very expensive to keep and maintain, you know, with vet bills and things that happen with them. Never mind feeding them 
in the winter time especially. So, yeah, you had this bit of freedom where you could go travelling. Uh, so that affects society. Your, your your outlook changes when you have that bit of freedom. Uh, you got to remember too, it's not so long ago that people say, and I always use Britain because it's an example, and I grew up in it. But it's an example of how things change rather rapidly. But as the folk adapt to it, they don't notice it, so they don't see it being so rapid. They take it just naturally. They think of cell phones. I think they think they're born with cell phones already, you know. And they don't realise that that people in Britain had different dialects. And it was interesting going through England and Scotland, and and towns even three or four miles apart could have a different dialect from the one because that's about the distance people could walk. There and back in a day, that's how a journeyman too, a tradesman, that's where the journeyman came from, how far he could walk in a day, you know, to to a work, to a a job. But it's the same with average people too, how far could you go? And if people are working during the day, they don't have many hours in in the evening, especially in, say, the early 20th century, a lot of people are still working 16 hours a day, you know. So you couldn't walk too far in your spare time, and you probably didn't want to be walking in your sleep. And you you find, as I say, all those different dialects were because people were almost, in a sense, all they get. Oh yeah, they get newspapers, but the fact is they were almost isolated in a sense because they didn't have big influxes of people coming in with different uh, dialects. And it wasn't until radio came out, and definitely with television, that you had the big change. And people started to adopt and adapt into using what they called the transatlantic accent, which was the little joke they had, because everything you saw initially from the movie versions and TV dramas and series was mainly westerns and things from the U.S., old westerns and stuff. Until you, had, you they developed this, this accent that wasn't really quite English, not quite American, a lot of them. Then over the years, too, in the 70s and 80s into the 90s, a lot of the, the dramas they put out for, for the school children, about, about schools and so on, and isn't it fun and all the rest of it, it actually gave them new accents. It was inserted into the stories, and actresses and actresses were taught how to use them. And then you found the people actually copying that all through America and Canada. Quite interesting. So as I say, you're living through constant plan change and you don't even notice it, you simply adapt into it. But so everything that again that, that's introduced into society, any physical thing too, definitely changes society. Look at just the phone. When the phone came in, suddenly folk and businesses could communicate with people across their country and maybe even across the world. And suddenly you've got a whole vast different outlook on businesses altogether. And small businesses, even in your own country, even in your own shire in Britain. Because now you've got more well, instant communication to do with deals and so on. So it definitely changes things. You adapt and change, adapt and change. So those are people who, who plan what technologies are to be really investigated for worth and use and funded into being, end up running a lot of the systems that now control you, definitely in high tech. And to, you, you you look at um, the NSA, people talk about, oh, Silicon Valley is now a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, 
There's nothing out there on a big scale that isn't part of one big corporation. I mean, the one. <laughs> They're all divisions of it. You couldn't have a separate NSA, separate from Silicon Valley, doing its own thing. It doesn't happen. Any more than, than, than uh, Facebook as an independent organization. These are all funded into being with front people generally. Front people are very important. And uh, as I've said before, uh, it's been exposed in the past, and admitted so, that many corporations, big ones to do with the military-industrial complex, were funded completely through different budgets by the CIA, the CIA that then operates them and puts their own operators in to manage them. Lots of the big organized, uh, companies and corporations are the same. Same in Britain. Britain was doing it through MI6 and so on, MI5. Forever. And even before you had the, the term MI5, they did it too. So if you want to look at whatever term you want to use, include the modern term, a deep state, that's always been here. And, and it's never, it never decided to let go its power over its control. But, but power ever just, just says, okay, yeah, we're going to give up power, you can have it. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. If anything, they must always increase their power. That's what power does to people. And how does it do that? It's more control. Power is control. And under the, under the control, everything underneath it, including populations, must be controlled. That's what the internet was initially for. Get folk into it, they're dependent on it. I gave the same talks in the 90s. Is to get folk dependent on it. Uh, lots of little freebies initially, and, and oh, look at that, look at this, and so on. And then get them used to putting all their information out electronically on a daily basis. That's completely pigeonholing them into profiles, you see. And then start roping them in. It's like a, a fishing net, you know, where you have a... It looks like a big, big square when they cast it off into the ocean. But there's actually ropes, uh, the, uh, like a drawing note, a rope that you pull it, and it tightens all it in, in, into a top, just like a pouch and tightens it, so everything inside it's trapped, well, it's the same technique. And I said in the 90s too, that eventually they'll take all the freebies they give you out, away from you, knowing you'll still be hooked on it, because you get used. People will continue doing things that are bad for them, because it's habit, and it's routine. Routine is very important in creating habits and for control of the people. So even when they know, well, I mean, you know, this is this is maybe not so good for me to to indulge in this or that or the other, they'll still keep doing it, and then of course then they end up making it mandatory, pretty well, to use it if you want to even get your banking done or bills paid or anything like that, especially under COVID. Eh? And so they've they've got it all sewn up, and that's control. It's all total control. I can remember too when people first started to hear about Al Gore before they got to know more by the, the whole climate uh, problem, as he called it, and too many humans, etc., and sustainability. The same stuff as Maurice Strong was pushing. They all belong to the same club. But Al Gore came out before that talking about, oh, the computer, this, this internet is going to change society, the whole planet, and everybody will have to be on it, and it'll work wonders, and so on. He even took credit at one point, that was a big joke, even in the media, that he claimed he invented it, <laughs> which was a real joke. 
But he was quite right in the fact they'd already had their big massive meetings of how they would introduce this this thing into the public domain and how it would change society completely, drastically. And for those who control culture and society, it was too great an opportunity, obviously, for them to just let go away. <laughs> they jumped on it from the very beginning. You've got to go into the history of the Internet and ARPA, then DARPA, that managed it and controlled it during the whole Cold War. You know, All sites in the Cold War used computers, systems, and hacked each other and did all these kind of, all these kind of things to each other, listened to each other, even collected to chat amongst the different programmers and other sites of the world to try and analyze what they were thinking and talking about and so on. So everything was done eventually on the public in, in the West, like today was already done during the Cold War and how it, how it would influence and change people's opinions and, and behaviours and, so, and it certainly did. Just like the television literally stopped people from going for walks. Couples used to go for walks all the time in Britain but before TV. And suddenly this TV comes in and yeah, there was nobody going for picnics in the park and so it all just completely stopped dead almost instantly, and you got all these reruns of programs that came from the States, old programs that they got pretty well cheap, I guess, to watch television, and and so yeah, it altered behavior, put that thing in the room and it altered behavior, they did the same thing with the radio, the BBC, because it was really, the BBC was really a, a, a propaganda department for the British government. Still is, although as I say, they sold some shares. They have these um, Crown Corporation shares, they call it, that's not available to the public. But it did come out a few years ago that a whole chunk of them had been sold to the CIA. And the BBC definitely has been at the forefront of all the big propaganda scares for oh, since its inception. And it's been used for wars in a big way for propaganda. And in between, too, for updating, again, your updates, your politically correct updates, what you should think today about this or that or whatever, and change your opinions and views on certain things, constant, constant, constant. But they also had, they found out that before World War II, they had these radio shows on BBC where they give you dramas, like a series of a drama, and every one would end with someone that they called the cliffhanger, where the, the hero was hanging by his fingernails on the edge, cliff edge or something, knowing that you'd tune in to, to the next day to find out what happened. And it made folks stay at home, running out for a walk or whatever, do gardening. And so, again, your behavior was being changed. And they were doing surveys and all that at the time. That everything is done to the public. Uh, it never, you know, it is done intensely, using your own tax money right up to the present day on your behavior, to see if it's working, whatever it happens to be, you know. So, you get that computer, then you get the cell phone, you know. And the cell phone is a mini- just, just a miniature computer, really, but, and then folk chat about everything, everywhere they go, till your behavior's changed again, so much so that a lot of them end up in car smashes are causing them when they're chatting away, and they forget where they are when they're driving. They forget where they are when the middle of the store is, Going down the aisles, chatting away, too, saying things that they shouldn't be saying. <laughs> it's just astonishing. 
to see how you adapt into it, especially things that are a bit outside of basic, your basic ability to adapt to. You can adapt to bicycles quite easily, for instance. And then you can start to adapt quite a bit easier to still with cars. You're still, you were still in charge of things and your, your senses were alert, you see. But when it gets into something to do with, with conversation, which generally only happens when you're static, <laughs> you're not cycling or, or, or driving a car. When you're, when you're move, moving, it's just, that's not quite so normal in nature, you see. Uh, unless you've got a great pair of lungs and you can jog along and still have a conversation for two hours in straight. But it, it, normally it doesn't work that way. So you find that folk lose it when they're in places talking about to somebody else far away and forgetting that there's people around them that are the shoppers listening to these conversations. Astonishing what they come out with. And so, yeah, everything that's put into your environment changes you, you see. Just like that's why they gave you the face mask with COVID. It completely alters behavior. And it fulfills many purposes. One of them, of course, is to stop conversation. It's very difficult to chat to anybody with a mask on your face. And they've got the same. Everything's muffled. Everything's uncomfortable. The people want to pull it off all the time. You can see, you can see even on, on clips on, on the internet from, from the TV. I don't have TV, but you'll see that. And they keep pulling it away from their, their nose, trying to get a breath, because eventually the moisture from your breath clogs up the little pores in the mask. It makes it harder to get oxygen, which your body needs, believe it or not. You know, It really does need it. Uh, and which, t- which makes, <laughs> brings me around to one topic I'll just touch on tonight, too. Is that uh, it's two topics? Well, it's two articles. One of them's about you probably read it about uh, that some experts are now advising that you wear two masks, and I, and I, I daren't even go any to where asking where the second mask is supposed to go. But the, the other one, the other article, is about speaking can spread COVID. Speaking, you see, can spread COVID. And we already had it when they started with singing. Well, you can't sing anymore; it can spread COVID because the particles might travel further, they said. And so they've come out with the same thing now, but talking, so now, now it's best not to talk. Wear, wear a mask, um, can't breathe properly, and you can't talk now, you know, because you'll save lives by shutting up. And of course, if you shut up, you can't spread any information about, or even questions like, why on earth are they wearing these darn masks eh? and suffocating ourselves? But then there's the answer to it all, right? It's obvious now. It's starting to get the picture. If breathing is bad for, for, for the environment and for spreading, I guess the answer, right, is maybe this is the logic. We just stop breathing. Is, is that what they want? That wouldn't surprise me. Because the Keystone Cops are truly in charge of the sciences right now. And getting back to what I'm saying, though, is you have no idea, as I say, that your behavior is constantly being altered. Constantly. And why do you think it's harder to talk to a previous generation? Number one, you, you, well, they've been taught that they're old Especially in the Western cultures, they're old, therefore there's no point listening to them anyway. They're valueless. That's what you're trained to believe. 
Uh, of course, that comes through dramas and the movies and so on. Oh, look, they're all senile, obviously. Anybody with a, an odd opinion as old is obviously senile, right? Whereas in other cultures, the cultures that will succeed, by the way, the, the cultures that invent, have strong family, because you don't realize the West has been under incredible attack to destroy the family for a long time. The same targets, all, it's always the same targets. But in, in cultures like China or India and, uh, and other countries around those nations, you, you'll find that they have strong family units. And they, they respect the elders. Often the elders still, see, they still live with them. A great thing to do when you think about it. In cultures where they, they're not killing each other because they're all closed in together, compared to the West, the West can hardly get along with anybody, even one person in their home these days, you know. But in those cultures, they have a, a, still have a discipline of the culture. And the elderly have a big say in things. Sometimes they're the ultimate say in things. And so they're respected for their wisdom because they have lived longer. They've seen the cons that governments pull down through their, their lifetime. And they can pass it on to the next generation. So they're, they're really regarded with, with uh, a bit of awe and respect. And they just, but here in the West, it's completely different. You've been taught to almost despise them. Or throw them away into these homes and, and try to forget that they're there. And it's a sad thing, too. You, you realize what you're missing out on. The children don't miss it. You don't, you, you were children. Well, the whole point of it is you, you used to have them, the elderly dying inside your own homes at one time. So they, they all lived together, and, and they were part of the family, and the whole family saw what was happening. And you truly grew up with a much more, you had more maturity about what life's about, and respect as well, about, about the fragility of life and the, the shortness of it. When you're when a child, a day it seems like a, a month. It seems so, so long, you, you pack it full of thoughts, and, and you're traveling it. 100 miles an hour, you know, that's how you are basically, in your mind but as you get older and and you realise, no, it's, life is pretty short, so when you had the families in, in your own, own midst there, you you realised that that uh, part of you is leaving you forever, you know, when they were dying, and you again, right to the, to the end, Undertaker came to the house, and would often deal with the corpse in the house get things ready, and then it was left there in the, in the coffin. And then once the usual rituals are over and done with, um, it's taken out and buried. That's how it used to be. This is an ancient history. If you were talking to a 20-year-old today, they would think, oh, that must have been 100 years. No, it wasn't 100 years ago. You realize how, how the state under socialism has taken over the responsibilities of the family partly to, to weaken the family and ultimately destroy the family. You can remember too when even wealth, the welfare came in in Britain for, as an example. I use Britain because it's, it's a great example of socialism. And I, I call it capitalistic socialism because the capitalists run it, you see. It's more efficient for them. So you, you would understand how, how all these things came to be, how they came to pass who benefits, who gets destroyed, and what agendas are being accomplished. Because it was no secret amongst the left wing. And I'm not talking about the working class left wing. I'm talking about the folk who ran the left wing. And they were certainly not working class people. 
Again, the destruction of the family unit was part of their agenda always. You can read it yourself in the Communist Manifesto. You can read it too in uh, the various writings put out by uh, Julian Huxley, again a member of the, uh, the aristocratic class in Britain, who, who was a co-founder of UNESCO and so on. And, and many others. I mentioned Bertrand Russell because he was the, one, of the, the, one of the ones who, were, who was really pushed in, in front of so many of them as a star. The star-making machinery of elevating them into stardom this was even done back then, you know. That's how it was done. Same with Einstein, Bertrand Russell. And today it's the same thing. They pick certain scientists and make them stars using the star-making machinery. You lots of money behind them, promoting them everywhere you look. And, and not just a person. Even Fauci, the views the on, eh? So he's not just a person. Now he's a genius. And, and, and they've got articles like the women are just swooning over him. Oh, my goodness, like, like a rock star. This is the star-making machinery. It's all bogus. Uh, but it works awfully well to imprint in people's minds that these folk are somehow super special. And so when they say something, you should follow them and do what you're t- they're told by them. And that's how it's always been. You, you don't realize that, that, that so much of the past was, was complete fiction, really, that you swallowed as reality, including the whole entertainment industry. Uh, as I've mentioned it so many times before, uh, they give you uh, what's supposed to be popular today. They 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 tell you whether it's going to be popular, and people at the time would say that could never become popular. Well, if you play something enough, especially to the right age group at a certain age, a specific age, uh, it'll stick in their, their heads forever. You know, they can make anything popular. You see, that's quite amazing to watch it and see it happening. Until you get away from the idea of what music is all together and to just noise eventually. Then you get into just electronic distortion and noise. Until now you have almost melody or tuneless uh, songs out there. There's, there's nothing to remember in them. It doesn't stimulate uh, pictures in your head. It doesn't stimulate uh, the beauty of existence. You know? which is not always there, mind you, because we don't live in a constantly beautiful system. Uh, a lot of it's rather evil and nasty, mainly by outside powers again. You know? and, and by that too, I'm also mean your governments. I always regard them as outside powers because they, they don't really seem to belong to the people they're ruling over and their agendas. And even the fact that you, you call it our government, uh, what are you talking about, our government? When Quigley and others have admitted that the top members and the cabinet members of all governments in the West and in the so-called first world countries are chosen in advance by people you never meet and never hear about. It's definitely not what they call the selection committees. They're, no, they're picked in advance by the establishment they Quigley talked about and always had been pretty well. So life is a show, you see. And I always think of, I mentioned it quite a few times before, but Shakespeare that said that uh, all the world's a stage and we are but the players. And you see, we are scammed uh, in this modern slavery system that Charles Galton Darwin talked about in his book, The Next Million Years, on behalf of the establishment. He, and he taught there's always been slavery. 
in one form or another. And he says, I don't see why they, why they should ever, ever not be. In other words, it would continue. It's wage slaves, whatever. You, you, you feed yourself. You, you earn money. Rather than have guards over you, you, you buy your clothing yourself. It's so so you, you save them money, right? Because they'd have to send people out to get the clothing to put on the slaves so, and, and hire the, ma- the, the slave masters to look after them and, and whip them in any line. And so you pay for all. You pay for the police. You, know? you pay for your own clothing, your food, and, and your heat in the winter. If you can get the heat, that will shortly be reduced now that they're really cracking down on different forms of heating to, just to exacerbate the whole COVID problem. Because it must be this COVID died, the whole war with COVID is to change society. That's, remember, that's what's about sustainability, um, a more post-consumerist society. They've been quite open about it. The Great Reset and, and Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum and all the other organizations parroting them. As I say, even, even the Lancet in Britain parroting the same stuff. And so you're, you're going through incredible changes, plan changes, and you have been your whole life and didn't know it. You had little, almost would, would appear to be periods in your own life, perhaps. You think you're kind of languishing, that not much is happening. And we had that in the West, periods of that in the 70s, periods in the 80s and the 90s, when they gave you stupid programming on TV, really stupid infantile programming. And they gave you guys dressed with the tightest jeans till they all sang soprano, you know. As it changed the culture and changed what you even wore or changed what the impression of a male would even be, you know. But silly, silly juvenile stories to make folk adapt into them. Nothing happens by chance because the fashion industry is completely interwoven with the culture industry and the culture industry is completely owned and directed by those who who project the future and plan the future. Remember that most revolutions are bloodless, are relatively bloodless, they're, they're cultural. And it takes a, a time, like Gramsci, the communist uh, laid out how to take over countries long ago and you infiltrate initially into appearing like them, the ones your targets are, you're them. And you, you, you get in leadership positions in culture, all kinds of culture and politics too. And then you start changing through the generation, maybe even a couple of generations, and uh, the, the whole entire culture, little bit by little bit, until the folk don't realize they've morphed into a completely different culture. It's very successfully uh, done, and uh, and you're living through it again. You have no idea how much change has been planned that way and manipulated into being by professionals. It still is, the behaviorists, etc. That's why so much money went into behaviorism. And psychology, not to help people, but to change, manage them, and alter their behaviors to suit the masters quite openly. And, and some of them, too. Remember, there's a good documentary a long time ago came out about psychiatry, and they, they touched on uh, the post World War II scenario, where some of the psychiatrists in, in the, 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 the Federation or the Association they had in Britain and elsewhere, they had one in the States as well. 
were demanding that they, being the, 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 the only people who could... It's the same thing as you get in today with truth. Psychiatrists would be the only sane people who could ascertain what truth was, you see. Isn't that yeah, a coincidence? It's not coincidental. Uh, so they and had their own spokesman in Britain that was going to be appointed over politicians. And, and they would decide who would become politicians in order to prevent another world war, you see. It's a great excuse. Bring on the wars and then, and then blame the people for Just like the climate, blame the, the people for it happening and then appoint your own people and to direct uh, the, the populations because the people caused the problem. <laughs> Such liars, eh, really? Because everything's manipulation, including wars. If you were against war, why, why would you lock up uh, all the people before World War Two started, as an example, and, and the ones even in World War One, who were dissenters, who didn't want to go off and get slaughtered or st- to slaughter anybody else. They knew how the British Empire had been created, as an example, and who got rich from it, and who ended up paying the price. It was always the public and, and paying it in blood and uniforms and, and as taxpayers. So they obviously... Uh, said, no, enough of this. Well, they all got rounded up and put in prison under War Powers Measures, War, war Measures Act, uh, without trials, just like the anti-terrorism bill, exactly the same, until the wars were over, you see. No trials, that was it. So there you are, and all that we're doing is what you're told after the war is the greatest thing, you're against war. You know? <laughs> Folk never figure that one out. Most things you don't figure out, in fact. They can't see this. Paradox you're always handed by those that rule over you. It's always paradoxes. It's always paradoxical, whatever the problem is. Just like the COVID too, you, for everything you read from the same professionals, you'll offer, you, you pretty well everything, you, you're getting two opposite opinions on it. Because it's mainly opinions as opposed to facts and hard facts, proven science. So yeah, the deep state's been here for an awful, awful long time. And uh, they, have, they have no intention of handing it over or, or dissipating itself to bring the world a more free society that the public will be involved in. Sure, sure. That's what they told the Soviets, you know. And the Soviet people and, uh, the, and communism had appointed leaders for every union, not for unions, but for every sector of work. They had their appointed leaders appointed by the Politburo you know, the head of state. And they'd speak for you. And they'd put your forward your complaints and what you need and well, all that stuff. The same thing's happening today. Yeah. They're called non-governmental organizations. They're, they're all appointed by the big foundations that are part of the real deep state. Yeah. As I say, if they don't use the same terminology, most folk never connect to dots. But you have to get signs and symptoms. It's like diseases. You, you, you diagnose the disease by the signs and the symptoms, the clinical expression of it all. And even that's gone out the window with COVID. Oh, it's all done with testing, just the PCR tests, you know. And this been top virologist came out and said, this is ridiculous, you've thrown clinical diagnosis out the window. You've got to have the clinical side of it, observation, history of the patient, recent history leading up to it, and so on and so on. Signs and symptoms. So there's no, but the fact it's been rushing on the same way, regardless of the massive backlash from the real professionals up out there who have nothing to gain 
by saying what they're saying. When they're coming, coming up with alternate facts about all this thing uh, that's going on, it makes no doubt it's written in stone. This is, I said this at the beginning, this is an agenda that's going to accomplish the whole sustainability mission of bringing you, reducing you to poverty, which they call austerity. Of course, they'll have a class system, and no doubt about it, a real class system. And, uh, and of course, those running it all will be in the upper classes, or the middle classes, you should say. The ones who own it all are way above, you know, they're above the, the stratosphere, <laughs> so to speak. Not really, but so to speak, as I say, because most of them you'll never even hear about who they are, you know. I really like Benjamin Disraeli's quote in his book, Conning's Abuse. Uh, it was a novel, but he put a lot of truth into it. That's where a lot of the truth was written at that time. You get away with it in a novel form. Uh, it, was, it was dangerous back then, even you speak about certain things, because you, you, governments have hit squads. They, they've always had them, and they're rather active during the Victorian era, you know. And... Um, in that whole period, uh, it was rather dodgy. You'd be careful what you said or even thought or expressed. You'd have accidents. And police were, it's like one massive uh, monopoly, really, the whole system, which included the police as part of the monopoly. Question, the, the, the nod came down and uh, the, the cops would obey whatever you know, order they were given. You either investigate it or don't investigate it or... Or the third option is to investigate it and lead off into a false trail, you see. A dead end. Or a question mark, and that's how it goes down forever. So he wrote about uh, the system, and he, little quotes in the book he put in there that the people um, don't know is, is that the, the, the people who really rule the system and the country and the nations, maybe even the world, but the people who rule the system is said uh, are vastly different from the ones that the public see and hear about, meaning in newspapers and prime ministers and so on. Vastly different. And that's how it really is. And that's how it's always really been. I used to like looking at the different cultures. That, uh, some, some of the ones that uh, Britain, when they went into South Africa, when they got the British taxpayer fund the armies to go in, so that the Cecil Rhodes and others could get the gold and the silver for the establishment, you know. But they used to, they, they blamed the Boers for the beginning of the Boer War. And, of course, it was actually started by these pri this private mercenaries that the Milner Group had uh, funded in existence and told to go over and start it. Anyway, what you'd find with, with the Africans, that, the actual Zulus and so on, and other, other tribes around there, the British government would ask to meet the leaders to try to get cooperation, maybe even aid or whatever uh, for numbers. And they would use them for skirmishes to actually put the, the, Afri the Afri native Africans in to different skirmishes or even use them to start wars, just like color revolutions a day against another tribe to weaken them. No nothing's new, as I say, everything's old as can be to the techniques. But what was interesting was you would, you would have the officer speaking to who he was told as the leader. And there may be up to eight or ten people behind the leader. But what you realize, the person in the back row is actually the leader. And it's, and it's someone else in the tribe who's pretending to be the leader. They're not dumb. 
you know, they've not done much at all because they've used these techniques on each other down through centuries as well, the different tribal warfare. And so you never tell them who the real leader is. And meanwhile, the real leader is watching his opposition. He's analyzing the personalities of the characters that he sees representing, say, the British army or the British government, the envoys and so on, and sizing them up. And the one in front goes through the, the, uh, the questions he's going to ask this so-called British leader. And it's all pre-planned, the questions and so on, uh, so that the real leader is standing behind him watching them react. He's, he's looking at body language and, and the faces, did the eyes shift or whatever, certain things, are they speaking the truth? And that's how they sussed them out. It was really clever, you know. And that hasn't changed. It really hasn't changed today. We're, we're given so many fake fronts for leaders in different areas that obviously, especially politicians, I mentioned before, politicians are generally not specialists in the areas they're appointed over. They're politicians. In Britain, they used to call it musical chairs. Sometimes twice a year, the cabinet would be shuffled. That's what they called it. So the, the, the politicians appointed over, let's say, the Ministry of Agriculture could be shuffled off to become the Ministry over Defence. They know nothing about either, you see. It didn't matter because the civil servants beneath them are more important. They are lifers. They work in those departments for their whole life and their whole working life, and they, they give the handouts to the politicians what to say, what, what it's about, because they know what, it's all, what, their, what their department's doing. Politicians are, are almost superfluous. They're, they're, in a sense, they've, they've been semi-important or necessary to deceive the public because they're given basic skills eventually. The British government now sends them to acting lessons. And that came out a few years ago in the newspapers, and I read on there. And they're given discounts to continue these acting lessons by, with private coaches and so on, how to stand and look official or officious, and to look important and convincing, and how to put it across as deportment, in a sense, and acting. So it's quite fascinating to watch it being done, and but the real leaders behind it, as I say, just like just like the ones who do the script writing for all politicians, uh, the, the big part, the bigger politicians, the higher ups, they definitely know what the agenda is. Otherwise, they couldn't write the scripts. You see, and I've often said, well, just do away with the politicians and give us the script writers because they seem to know what, what they're doing. So everything is a front upon a front upon a front, including the politicians, you know. We know, too, from history, that the ones who are appointed as officials, who have some training in whatever they're talking about, are generally the worst. It's like Fauci. There's a lot of people who, I mean, even the inventor, the PCR test, I put the clip up, too, lashed out. Before he died, he lashed out. Fauci and called them all kinds of things because he knew him well and called him a fool, you know, as a bureaucrat. Because most of these people who are appointed over us in medicine or whatever are really bureaucrats and not the top in their field at all. I remember talking to some consultants in hospitals, the top ranking consultants. And they were, they were chatting about different fields that, that doctors can go into, you know. 
they're lucrative, very lucrative, but specialization is often very lucrative. But they also mentioned that some of the poorer doctors, meaning poorer in their abilities, are often advised to go into things like become um, to be a specialist for allergies, you know, etc. Because you can't really go wrong. There's a limited amount of information on it. There's never too much new investigation into allergies as to, uh, that's of any benefit to the specialist because he's given a select amount of antihistamines and treatments for for the problem. And he's got, a, and it, it's a good, it's a good income for a lesser uh, doctor who's maybe even dangerous in the field. By the way, that's it. One of them said, uh, because some of them are kind of dangerous too. So they can't do too much harm in that area of allergy, and um, but it's a good income for them because you get repeat returns of patients. So try this pill, and what do you think of that one? Yeah, I don't sneeze as much for that one. Okay, try this one, and and that's just a roundabout of those different pills, you see. And ointments and things like that. But the public are, are given a completely different view of it all. Like, oh, he's professionals. These are professionals here, you see. Again, mainly through through uh, propaganda, through movies and fiction. Like Jack Zillow said. All medical movies and dramas, all police movies and dramas are propaganda. And you can add into that military as well. There was a... The history of propaganda is phenomenal, uh, and your tax money, money is used to make good movies to brainwash you. You know, looking at the old ones from World War Two, I was rewatching an old one. It was with Gregory Peck, it was about uh, an Air Force commandant in the U.S. military stationed in Britain during World War Two. That was a drama, and it, it was it was a standard script. You know, a formula. I call their formula scripts. Standard. You can use the same script in different areas of of movies and so on, different of life. But you know the guy, the guy who's the, the commandant when Peck is sent in uh, is to replace this, this previous commandant who's kind of cracking up with all the air raids over Germany and stuff, and and uh, he's looking after his guys getting shot down, and he's cracking up because he's losing members and young guys, and they look upon the older guy as a, a daddy figure, you know. And, and so they'd resent when he, when, when the commandant has moved off and Gregory Peck takes his place and he has to re-win the respect and all the rest of it and become the new daddy and a, a formula movie. These are formulas, you see. You can use it in the Marines and the Army and the Navy, the same scripts and other walks of life too. But, but it's good to study them and that one, I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it's a, it was one of the more popular ones. But in, in the, the, the talk that Peck gives to the to the squadron. He, he, they're all gathered in the, in the hall, you know, in the operations hall, and he's, he's saying, and, and you will be going over to Germany, and, and some of your targets will be civilian. They were introducing the idea of what was really called total war. They don't mention the term, but that's what it's called. Total war. Where, in, in new warfare, every, all civilians are fair, fair game and fair targets. And that was taught, I think, in Sandhurst in the 1930s for the first time. The officer training in Britain. They also trained people from other parts of the Commonwealth countries in the same thing. But they also had, had taught a German 
officer came over and he, he studied this concept of total war there as well and to get back to Germany. But uh, Britain was, was, a, was a country that came up with the idea of using it where every civilian would be fair game to bring down the numbers because all the civilians would be involved in war production for munitions and armaments and everything else, you see. But I was surprised to actually hear it mentioned not as total war, but as, as you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be dropping bombs on, on working facilities because so, that's where you stationed all the, all the different workers for some of the factories. So it was much better rather than just have the factories constantly rebuilt to go and blow and kill all the people who worked in them in their homes. But that's how they introduced it again, as, as always, in a movie version, a novel version of us against them, you see. Well, Total War didn't end there, naturally, because Total War has never never stopped, regardless of a war being on or not. There's always a section within society at Total War with you at all times. Never mind all the previous medical experimentation that's gone on within your own societies by the authorities, done in secret, always initially in secret, on unsuspecting people. And much of it revealed eventually with uh, when the time limit is up on the Official Secrets Act for stamp on that particular topic, whatever it happens to be. Some are, uh, have never been released and can be constantly restamped for another 50 years, uh, 50 years and 50 years and on it goes. The same system it's using a wartime, a complete wartime scenario called COVID to achieve an end, which all wars do is achieve a goal and end and to fulfill societal changes. Remember that. All wars are to fill, fulfill societal changes. As Quigley said too, you can do more in five years of war because government is, takes charge of everything, right? Then 50 years of peace and using propaganda to get societal change. And this is what you've got happening with COVID. It's the whole sustainability agenda. Why else would you crash the whole economy by order, by law? You just shut down. Never been done in history before, shutting down a country or a planet's economies. And locking up the healthy to save the sick and never been done is it's complete antithetical to, to common sense and rationale and previous medical experience. The terminology from the beginning was a war on COVID. You see? An emergency powers act came into being, which means it's a war scenario. In a war scenario, you change behaviors of all kinds. It isn't just gas masks, like I've mentioned before, it's now it's face masks. Then it's standing apart from each other. All these things are to change behavior and to change rational behavior. It's not rational to stand all this distance apart, you understand? And the more irrational they can make it, the more bizarre it's all going to become. And when it's all, all really bizarre, they'll push more demands and compliance, or we'll never get out of lockdown. Even as they're telling you, double speak, and two, you know, the white man talks through, like they used to see in old movies, the white man talks with a forked tongue, meaning two different things at the same time. 
from the same mouth. Uh, that the experts tell you that uh, after your jabs and all the rest of it of compliance, you're not going to get back to normal. And you'll still have to wear the mask. As at the same time, the same people are telling you, oh, you get the jab and we get back to normal. You see, you can't live with contradiction. It's not meant, it's meant, it's deliberately meant to be contradictory, to drive you crazy and anxious, makes you, creates anxiety. On the one hand, they want compliance, so they say one thing. On the other hand, they have no plan. They're going to get you ready that you're going to be in perpetual lockdowns. You can't please tyrants, you know, by obeying. This is a war, and a war is upon not just your own countries, but every country pretty well. And out of it, supposedly, will come a reduced population because you'll have definitely, definitely rationings to come down the pike in a full-scale war scenario. And you'll have to be awfully good to get rations. You see what's happening now with the Internet. If, you, if, you, if you're targeted for some reason for, spend, for spreading untruths, as they say, from the masters of truth, then um, you can be cut off of that. Right. You'll if you get basic incomes, you see universal basic incomes, and there'll be more of the incomes getting dished out as time goes on because more and more businesses are going under. Thousands are getting lost all the time. I'll put these links up too to the articles I'm talking about tonight as well. I always do. So it's not just my opinion; it's from the articles, all the topics I mentioned. And so you're going to have incredible chaos. This will be a long-term effect for, for, for a perpetual change, a planned change, you see. And you already have um, scarcities happening across so-called, so-called third-world countries that really have been living off the, the first-world countries for a long time and actually kept dependent on them. It's true enough, you, you can take the, the basic independence away from a nation Call all kinds of things, or they need their help, and before you know it, in a generation, they're completely dependent on you. This is these things don't happen by. There's many ways to wage a war and to take over countries. Many ways, old as the hills, yeah. and so you'll definitely have famine coming along as fewer and fewer uh, countries are producing agriculture again, thanks to all the big agendas and sustainability. Yeah. And they're cutting back on farmland use and then changing it to biofuel. Remember that con as well? Before they found all the, the, uh, the, the oils and, and gas pockets in your own countries. Oh, let's create biofuel. Uh, but one, third, one third less food to, 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 to consume because it's been made for biofuel. And then they cut back on the, on the herds of meat and so on. Because there's less, there's less feed for them. It's in biofuel. Long-term planning strategies, and it'll go down in history as oh, we just didn't realize, didn't foresee this coming. Absolute rubbish. Was <laughs> happening, and it's been happening for years. Is a, a wartime strategy being implemented before COVID came along? Oh, it's a climate. It's a climate. Eh? And the, the, the excuses of use really disgust me. For COVID, they care about the who's who, who, did what they care about the elderly, 
I've lost count of the articles over the years that's been published about the abuse of the elderly prone to, to these, these, these elderly homes and basically drugged till they start drooling. Then with inhalation pneumonias from the drooling, you know, from the drugs. And for the for the cheapest cost is at the same time, and they've they've sores from from the seats they sit on day after day. They can't get up and walk around. They have bed sores. These sores aren't just little, you know. They, these are holes in their bodies at times. They get infected, as the tissue breaks down because of the lack of blood getting to the spot because of the weight on the same area. For prolonged periods of time. So don't. Don't tell me about the care for the elderly. The same authorities, the same deep state that rules over everything. As his professors coming out over the quite a few years now saying, you know, people are living too long and uh, we should really bring it down at the life expectancy to maybe just after retirement age or around that retirement. And the money could be used then for, for their pensions uh, to help younger people get jobs and Every excuse under the... Don't you get it? There's a war on you. And these professors are given all the airtime on televisions across the world. Just by what? By chance, you think? <laughs> I've always said if they want to start killing all people at 65, which some of them have advocated, then why don't they do it by example and, and show us the way? It doesn't happen, does it? You see, there's a big distinction between them and you. <laughs> and they make it very well. They're important. You see, you've been trained now, again, in this war scenario of what's essential, non-essential, who is essential and who is not essential. Lord Sumption came out. That was getting pushed recently. I read some of his articles too. When he was saying, well, you know, all, everything that's happening now is not ruled by law. It's, it's ruled by decree, you know, and, and by opinion. And just, it's not law. That mass mandates and lockdowns and so on. But the same Lord Sumption came out, a partner in a TV show or something, definitely in an interview, and he was asked a question about someone. What does he think about the elderly and, and the fact that the bioethicists, they don't have to use the term bioethicists because that's who, this, this new profession that works for the deep state to change who, who's valuable and who's not in society. And is a person at a certain age just as viable as somebody who's younger? And he said, no, I don't think so. So he believes that it's definitely uh, more valuable than other people, you know. As you're, see, you're all being trained as, as population to start going along with expert opinions. Because eventually it'll be your turn. You're getting the point here. They, they condition their victims years in advance of them actually doing it on you. <laughs> so it's when it's your, oh, I guess maybe they're right, you know. I'm, here I am, guilty me, says, I'm consuming food, oh, goodness me. And I've lived a long life, and oh, yeah. maybe I should do what they say. I feel bad, you know. I'm not kidding you. You will, and I really mean this, you will see articles, maybe even now, of elderly starting to come out. Oh, yeah, I've, I guess I'm just in the way of things, you know, progress. 
And this is going to come. They always train their victims before they do it to you. Isn't it? It's diabolical that the whole system truly is diabolical. There's no other word for it. They have no trouble in getting professionals to implement this across the board. And proper. There's also um, a link I'll try and put up tonight. I've, I've seen the whole thing yet, but it's, um, it's a woman who's come out giving you the the steps towards genocide, like mass genocide. You've got to read them to understand what's happened in the past and, and, the, and the steps that they take to, again, to encourage the populations to go along with them. Everything is preparation by the elites, you know, the ones, the, the real specialists that run the show. It's preparation. The elite employ the specialists that do it for them. They're the scientific class. That's what Julian Huxley talks about. He said, and Aldous Huxley said the same thing, we're part, their family was part of, a, of, a, of the ruling scientific class that serves the dominant minority at the top. So they make happen by managing societies and cultures and behaviors on behalf of those that controlled everything and owned all. And they never start, as I've said before, for those who really think about revolution, you better listen to the elite's point of view, like Albert Pike, you know. And don't forget, he was in charge of what was then the World Revolutionary Party. They inherited it all from guys like Thomas Paine, who said in his own memoirs that his family was a, came from a long lineage of world revolutionaries. This isn't new. <laughs> and you can take it from their writings as in conspiracy theory when they write about it themselves. Especially when Thomas Paine was a revolutionary who came over from England. And they went over to, do, to continue it in France. So you, you've got to understand that, that things are vastly different than the way they're presented in your children's history books. And by that, I mean up to the, the time of university level, still children's. These are the authorized fairy tale histories. But we pay for everything. We pay for the armies to go in. We pay for, for, and, that, and we pay for railroads to get put into countries so that freight trains can take the resources out of countries and things. And then they make you feel proud back home of whatever, this empire that you're told you're part of. You're, you're told to be proud of it. Well, why should you be proud of it? Because you're paying for all. You're paying for the railroads. You're paying for the troops to be over there. The companies and corporations aren't paying anything towards the upkeep of all that. Public-private enterprise isn't new. It's pretty well always, all the big projects for the state have been public, you pay for it all. And those who run the state take it all, you know, all the resources. And they take the, the goodies and so on, and the profits. So I always say, as I said earlier in the talk tonight, I says, you know, Shakespeare says, you know, all the world's a stage and we are but the players. And I always say that all the world's a stage and we, we are but the payers, because that's our function. Now remember, again, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com You'll see my sites listed there. These are my, all my official sites. Take a note of them. And remember, you can help donate to me and help me tick along here because we're going through the, most, the, the greatest changes you'll experience in your life are happening right now. You're living through the history of it all. And unfortunately, even as you go through it, and then maybe 10 years down the road, if they start lifting some of the restrictions, if they do, then if, they, if they've decided they've changed the culture enough permanently 
and lift tradition. They might even keep it going for 20 years. But you, you've got to have people who remember what happened now. And the players that brought it into being. And the, the, long, the years and years of sustainability agendas, all the way from the Rio summit of Maurice Strong in 1992. Then the climate change was all part of it. It came on to it for sustainability again. To the present, as you, you got to remember the, you've got to remember all of this. Most folk won't. Most folk really don't remember much of anything that really happened on a big scale. They might be able to know, notice what happens personally to them, but they don't know the whys and wherefores or who's behind it, and they can't connect it to the other things too. They're all part of this big plan. So coming through the matrix.com, remember you can send cash use PayPal and check. And eventually I'll hope to, I'll to get in the bank somehow and maybe post a few things off as well. But um, this is lockdown here, complete lockdown here in Ontario. And I know for a fact they want to keep it going at least up until through April. And, and they'll keep, again, moving the goalposts, as they say. That's the technique that Fouch has been using from the beginning. Although he's far more honest in the beginning, he wanted to lock you right down for two and a half years straight away, <laughs> like permanently, without a stop. Eh? They had to back off there and lie a bit, and well, maybe not. You know, maybe maybe we can open up here and there. Then he admits he lied before, and, and then you then you're taught to believe him again. Incredible times, eh? really incredible times. And I put these articles up where it says that Fauci lied already. To the people, he's lied more than once to the people. And it's a noble lie, though, as I say, that's what they call a noble lie, because it's for your own good that they have to lie to you, because you're children, you know. Children, that's what you are. All the things that the South Africans, the Afrikaners, were, were, were blamed about with, with, to do with South African uh, natives, blacks, when they say, you know, they were like, children, you can't, you can't tell them everything because they're like children. That, that's what they used to say, you know. Your own governments are, are saying it to you with their, with their front specialists. You know. Well, you know, we have to lie to the people here. We can't tell you the truth, you know, because you want, you're, you're too stupid to understand. I mean, Fauci's pretty well said that. He says, don't think about this. He says, for yourselves. He says, just obey the scientists. Everything I'm saying here is verifiable by articles. I have them all here. You know. I've had them, I put them up too before over, over these, many, these months. But do you really want to go through life getting treated like a child on such major things? We can't tell you why we're doing this really because you're, too, you're just like children. And we don't have the time to explain things to you. You're too stupid. You would understand. This is from, from Fauci that said in the beginning of the thing last year, Oh, this probably won't really affect Americans very much at all. And he says, oh, don't wear masks, he says. Don't wear masks, he says. You, know, you don't need masks at all. And then when the order came down higher from above him, he, he turns face and, oh, yeah, total lockdown. <laughs> wear face masks and it's going to be a massive deadly disease, he says. This is from the best they can give you, supposedly. So you have incredible arrogance coming from this... Uh, the ones who are presenting it all to us, I'm sure there are people way above them. But the arrogance is still phenomenal. It, it's, it comes out by the tonnage every day on news clips and news media and 
probably in television too. Incredible arrogance. Where they treat you like children. The very things I've said, the apartheid countries were blasted for using that technique on native populations. And it's all been done on you. You're too dumb to understand, you know. Just obey it. Fauci also said, see, the agenda has always been to use the same system as China. China's very efficient, according to Justin Trudeau. He, he's a, he admires it for because they don't have to deal with rights and things like that. You, you know, there's, no, there's no other parties conflicting and are arguing with each other, this one-party system. And so the leadership tells them to do something, it all gets done without boring about human rights and individual rights and things like that. They don't have that problem. And so he admires it. And But not just him. Obviously Fauci does too, you know. When Neil Ferguson admitted that he, he they'd already discussed at the SAGE groups in Britain that advises the government on these emergencies and so on. He said they already discussed the fact that China had got things under control and that system of the Chinese methodology wouldn't work in the West because, because you had individuality, a different history of individuality in the West and people probably, people probably wouldn't put up with it. And they were so astonished when their campaign of, it's like, I call it a campaign of terror, that's what it is on the public through propaganda, when it worked so well that uh, they were bowled over at how fast democracy just gave way to authoritarianism. They were very pleased about it. That's been the newspapers, folks. Lots of them. So China is the model state. That's, they were, China was glorified by the CFR articles over many years, comes from foreign relations articles, for its efficiency. And, and of course, David Rockefeller was, was over the moon with China and Praised it regardless of any fallout when, during the revolution. He praised it for being, for being more um, orderly and efficient, and so on. See, this efficiency, the elites love efficiency, but again, individuality and human rights gets in the way of it, doesn't it? Well, you watch all disappearing, all your human rights, and basic, um, and the way you're treated by authorities of all kinds. Washed away instantly, isn't it? Where folk are afraid now to go out in the streets in case the police pick on them. Older folk are scared. Maybe you're not walking fast enough. Where are you going? I'm going to. I'm trying to get to this. And they're actually finding people who are not walking fast enough in Britain. Can you believe that? Mm-mm-mm. Can you believe that? But I can because you see, you can't give that kind of power to police. You can't give them that that power. Uh, law has to be absolute law. Lord Sumption is right with that, as opposed to just rules. Arbitrary rules, just piecemeal rules. You have to have law, and law, and the cops have to be taught what they, their limits are. Without that, you see, you're seeing what's happening, happening. We're, we're, and, and some countries are having home invasions by police, because they, they're claiming there's tipsters, or somebody tipped them off, there's more than two or three people in that house. You know. Really? Because when you, when you pull cops in for something like that, these cops can use lethal force on people. You know that. They don't come out. They're, they're not negotiators for, 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 for sociology here and sociological problems. They're not negotiators. No, they, they come in with a mandate and, and it's obedience. Do what you're told. The things they wear around, around that belt on their waist are not Bibles or how-to negotiate books or... 
you know, and, or, or human rights and its, and their, its history. You know, none, none of that's hanging around the waist. What do you think's hanging around the waist there? Yeah. And so you, you've seen the rise of a massive Stasi, and talking about Stasi, uh, the, the, the rise, uh, or, or really another another division of secret police, which is what they had throughout the Stasi system in Eastern Germany, and the KGB had other branches apart from just themselves. They had other divisions that were similar, all through society. And we've been heading this way for a long time. When Pierre Trudeau was came in before he left office, he created the the the, the CSIS group for Canada a secret agency that works within Canada. That's how it got, it got created. And Trudeau was, was, was left to Karl Marx, you know, Pierre Trudeau. And he did the same thing with, with, when Obama was in. He went to create an internal army. Remember all those articles in the newspapers? And here they're doing it again under Biden. Oh, no, we have to do it because all these crazy people that were storming, storming, they call it storming the Capitol building. There was no coup, you know. There was no revolution. The ones who got in initially were, were a small group, uh, and, the, and the other ones were encouraged just to follow them in. They fell for all. They were, they were getting prompted by for for years by certain leaders who helped the, helped the, the whole setup. Thousands of ordinary, just ordinary people there who were just ticked off and had been neglected. That's why Trump got in the first place. Massive segments of society still remain from free trade. Lost their jobs, lost factories, lost everything. Watched their, their towns go downhill, you know, lack of funding and so on. The same folk watching massive influx of drugs in their, in their systems, in their areas, as you say, or their states. And let's not pretend that it wasn't bad before Trump got in, you know. They already had documentaries about Seattle is dying and things like that. They had the ones to do with Oxycontin, the drugs that they were getting pushed for all over America, but certain states more so than others by design, I think. Disastrous. All parts of it. These are wars, people. These are techniques of war. And you know, there's no doubt about it, the countries that, that the present drugs are flooding in from. War. It's a war upon the people. To bring them down, uh, to alter them from, from, from uh, some kind of uh, society that's in control of itself to an extent, and some, uh, including mental health, and then destroying them. That's war technique, you see. And you think I'm, I'm kidding about that? Look at this, the studies that were done on how to take down Russia when, it's, when it was in when it was in Afghanistan. You start you start reading the books, you know, by guys in the CIA who are now you know retired or dead now, some of them, and how they decided how they would if they could embroil uh, the military, Russian military, give them a Vietnam experience. That's what they called it in Afghanistan. For years, it would bankrupt them even more. 
it would uh, destroy their, their ability at home to, to get support of the people. The more of, uh, or tr- troops were sent over and who were getting killed, but even more so towards the end. They showed years ago on TV a documentary put out by Russia themselves in preparation for them collapsing. But they showed you these massive hospitals full of drug addicts. A lot of them had been the guys who, who, who got put on the drugs in Afghanistan. Okay. Other ones came back with the drugs. They were hooked as well and, and created the supply lines back into Russia proper. All planned out and, and talked about by the CIA before it all happened. How they do it. Drugs isn't new for taking down civilizations. Some of the top characters you have in the U.S. right now are descendants, their family lineages of the opium wars. But they dumped the bales, thousands of the bales on China until China had to let in, them in to supposedly do the trading. It was really to plunder them when you had British quarters, American quarters, French quarters, and so on. That's how they, they got their, that's how they edged their way in. If you don't let us in and, and, and to get your resources and so on and, and do forceful trading, a gunboat diplomacy, they called it. Then we'll, we'll just drug all your population. So this, they literally un, uh, unloaded you know, thousands and thousands of tons of, of bales of opium that had been produced mainly in the, the, the Golden Crescent, and they called it, and, which included Afghanistan. Good poppies were always traditionally grown there in one, one way or another. And then, of course, they, they develop and create any cakes, etc., and the processing. And some of the, again, the politicians, when they looked into their documentaries going through their histories, showing who was who, and whose grandparents and great-grandparents and so on were involved in the opium wars. So yeah, don't think your own country, your own countries in the first world are way ahead in using these techniques. And they're using the same techniques on their own populations now. I can't call them their own population. I think Bertrand Russell was quite right when he said that the elite, through their very careful breeding process, like selection and mating to get the right offsprings, very eugenically minded, you see, he said that uh, they become a different species eventually, the elite. They'll know everything that's really happening. They'll dumb down the rest of the population, but the elite will actually get higher in IQs and understand what's going on. But the rest of the people would have to be dumbed down through diet injections and injunction. That's from his own book. Well, I think that's happened, really. I think that's really happened. And and you're you're living through it now, aren't you? So you can't really say that the folk who are representing you are the people who really are representing you at all. And I've always said intelligence agencies are one world agencies, that they're all combined long ago, maybe even from the beginning. And they really don't have your, your countries at heart, or the best interest of your countries, obviously. They don't have your best interests at heart at all when they've given you colour revolutions inside your own nations. And getting back to the elderly here, year after year, I've talked about the death rate 
of retirees in Britain, where it's now, it's been normal for years now. New normals, we're always getting new normals, you see. It's to train you in this new bioethics, as they like to call it, you know, how to treat management, manage the people, and who should live and who should die, and who's expendable and who's essential and who's not essential, etc., etc. You'll hear more of this as to train you for your final end, actually, as I've said before. But they prattled on about the elderly every year and who are dying in their homes because they can't afford the, 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 the fuel for heating themselves in the winter until, you know, hundreds and hundreds, many thousands die every year in England, and it's normal. And this is from a civilized society, supposedly. It's utterly disgusting. And so this this show of care, oh, we really care about the elderly, we've got to change the whole world and lock down your economies and stop your economies and lock you all down your homes because it's to save the elderly. Uh, what an uh, incredible lie from the same people who tell you, well, you know, certain folk, we can't just pay for the fuel for everybody to live in their homes in, in the winter. This is from people who worked all their lives, you know, <laughs> can't afford the fuel. And great Britain. I guess I'm glad they dropped the great part, you know. But that's normal. So they can't come out and start using the elderly like they care, because they have never cared about the elderly. This is an agenda for a different reason. And they'll tell you, if you, if you try to, to, to say we shouldn't be locked down and all, but to, uh, et cetera, oh, it's because you don't, you don't like the elderly. This is from the same, oh, foul-mouthed characters we, we call the politicians, who will parrot whatever they're told to parrot by their masters, yeah. They don't care darn about the elderly. And even when the shots are being given, like the ones in Norway, and they're admitting it in different countries already, uh, oh, well, you know, so many died after getting the shot. Oh, well, it's got nothing to do with getting the shot. They were going to die anyway. If they're going to die anyway, why would you give them something that has been shown to be rather lethal to them, perhaps? Eh? And just, this is a massive enterprise to change so much of our perceptions and the way we view everything and, and our behaviours, everything, this total war scenario. But why would you give it to the really frail, and actually use the, fra- the terms frail and elderly who are on the verge of dying. Why would you be giving them the shots then unless you're doing some big experiment? huh? Because you don't give a damn about the elderly. I, it's so odd to be, to be at, been at this for so long that in the 90s I, I went through the histories of, of uh, I have to use the term the unborn, I don't think you're allowed to say anything different anymore. This because we're under such free societies, right? But I, I said that the, the, the whole point of this, that, that abortion, and it wasn't to, for what they said it was, it was to change society's perceptions again on what humans are. And what life is about. That's the whole point of it. I said eventually they'll start on the elderly. So they start at one end and until it's fairly regular, normalized, and then you start on the next. Well, why bother keeping the elderly alive, you know? And then comes euthanasia, which we have in Canada now. I mentioned last week or the week before about the 90 odd year woman who had no comorbidities, by the way. She was healthy and ambulant and the whole thing. Uh, who decided to, to, to accept euthanasia because she couldn't stand being isolated during another lockdown. And they gave it to her. They killed her. 
and they tell you they care about the elderly. Oh, are you starting to think for yourselves for a change? You know? They care about the elderly. When Obama ran in his time, his first time running for office, I, I, I listened carefully to the little bits he came out with, because that's when they tell you little things of an agenda, you see little parts. Trump was the same with his pharma business. He said, he was when he, because they were backing him, right? He said, he says, and I'll cut, I'll cut all this testing time out, etc. Uh, for all safety things, and they'll rush necessary things to the public, medications and so. He's, he's, he also meant vaccinations, folks. Huh? It's a coincidence. Well, when Obama ran the first time, he said he, he gave an example. His mother or grandmother, he says, is it really the money it's cost to keep her going? Is it really worthwhile spending that? And, and he made a bit. And it published in the papers. It told me there was it was a big thing we're supposed to start thinking about. That's where really when it was in the papers, you know, it was telling me. What's the mantra from from the the climate change agreements and so? Too many you, too many people. What's the mantra comes in with with COVID? We've got to ration medical gear and stuff. It's in the Toronto papers again, Canadian papers, Ontario. And, and a recirculation of what they gave us last year, because Canada was one of the first countries to, to get the bioethics report. Make sure you get this in, in stories. Uh, but to start rationing care if it gets any worse and, and, and you know decide who should live and die. It's a sad thing to do, but we have to do it if it ever ha- gets that bad. This is all getting you ready for, for your essential, non-essential, etc. Grading you all and getting you to accept it. And it's true, the world's a stage, because everything they show you is a show. It is a show. Produced, written, directed, and produced show. Every little thing they give to the public, it doesn't just come out spontaneously from anybody. You're living through an incredible show, the greatest show on earth, right? And it is. It it truly is the greatest show on earth. There's no no end of people coming out to talk about the different folk in Norway and, and, and other ones in old age homes that died ever getting the shot. That's probably nothing to do with the shot. That's that's really scientific again, right? And you, you're, you, what do you, what's the one truth you get in any detective story? It's, again, it's propaganda, right? But what's the one truth you get? Is that it's called common sense detecting, where you, where you, you find out. Uh, you know, all the characters involved around the character who's died or whatever in the plot. And 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 they also have to find out too what happened before they died. Did they upset somebody or whatever? Did who had it in for them and, and you'll sit and get glued to that. I can't stand these 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 murder things, you know. But it's the same thing in real life, you know. You have to get all the hard evidence. They call it hard evidence, not ifs. Hard evidence is proof, you see, really. But we're, we're given opinions and, and maybes and perhaps from the top scientists here. It, it, it stinks to high heaven, the whole darn thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they have, we don't think this is what's killed them. It's probably due to their age. Well, if they were teetering on the brink of death, why on earth would you be sticking this thing in them in the first place at that time? See, it doesn't jive. It doesn't make logical sense at all.
unless they are testing out some big thing. Or going even further, because there's this people raising that G word, you know, genocide word up again. And, and do you blame them? Do you really blame them? The West, we're the countries that started eugenics. And London, of course, you know, was the big one for it with Darwin and his group and, and the British, British Eugenics Society. And, um, and that spawned a whole bunch of new, new directions and different pseudosciences and universities and the Malthus Doctrine, etc. And, and again, superior, inferior, which was no problem with the British aristocracies, nobilities, because they, 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 they already saw the people as a separate species. They did. The peasants, the villains, as they called them, you know. What would you know? Mind your place, you know. They, they, they did see the ordinary folk as a different species. They really honestly did. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating there. You have no idea the, of the class system that Britain had. It's still there today, but a bit more camouflaged, you know. They're better managers of information. But I've talked to people from India, you know. Well-educated people from India who talk about the, the upper classes and Brahmanism, etc. And they, they, they came to the same conclusion I had a long ago. That the reason that the Britain was in India for such a long time was they got on so well with the Brahmin class. Their aristocracy, nobility got on so well. They, had, they, they could identify with each other very, very well. And... And they saw the rest of the population as just, just you know, sub, almost, almost subnormal peasants. The same as Britain did. That's a fact. And, and the, the elite in, in India lived off the backs of everybody else with taxes and fees, you know, feudal duties, etc. That's where the word fee comes from. Feudal taxes. Fees. And you, uh, the, the British aristocracy, they went over, get appointed to different positions over areas in India, worked with the Brahmins, and they shared the, the loot that came off the people's backs, the, the, the taxes and so on. Big money. And people tend to look upon India as just some backward, no, it's not a backward place. They, they got a massive population, massive, ancient culture. And uh, many cultures involved inside India, hundreds actually, uh, from small tribes that they were they're, they're from the Dravidian groups and so on. But uh, but you got to realize that it's one of the largest middle classes and, and upper classes in the world because it's got such a large population. I mentioned I don't know if I mentioned it before in the, uh, the radio show. It was uh, not a radio show. It was a, a, a documentary, really about some of the early film, color film. And cinema, for home cinema use, by the way, they had it in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it was a developed. It was created in France at the time, and uh, I like photography and so on. But it was, it was fascinating. How how really good colors and so on it was too. But they did it for film, fashion for home video film as well, for 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 holiday makers and so on, tourists. And one was about Rosie, her name of her was Rosie, and she was a friend of the British royal family. Her family was awfully rich, you know. Uh, Rosie Neumann, I think it was, Mrs. Newman. And she, uh, 
she was well acquainted personally with all the royal family and we were friends with them. But she did nothing but except travel when she was a young woman all over the world in the best of everything. And and from her, so she, the whole movie was about the color photography. She left us a lot of good film about the world at that time. And she showed you incredible footage, video footage of uh, some of the top, the top Maharajas, aristocracy of India, where she visited and stayed in her palaces. These palaces were massive, like 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 about twenty football fields together, and, and white white kind of um, almost like a marble kind of what it was. Like a, and they showed you these endless trains of soldiers, almost like medieval soldiers, you, you, the way they were dressed and and, and classic outfits, etc., ceremonial outfits with weaponry and so on, on elephants and so on. And she's witnessed it all of this. One of the last people to actually film it all. Maybe the first person to film it all in color. But uh, no, India was was incredible. Why do you think they went into India? A nation would have incredible wealth with riches, uh, gold and all kinds of precious metal, but, but gems galore. And you see them wearing the gems at the Brahmin weddings. Yeah. They can hardly move with the weight of them. I mean, you're talking about incredible, incredible wealth. So that's what the aristocracy of Britain merged with at that time. They were quite pally with them because they, they had so much in common. They all lived off the backs of everybody else down below them. And they lived awfully, awfully well and saw themselves literally, again, as a separate species. And that tied in so well with Darwinism. Oh, well, we're, we're special because we've, we've been careful with our selections. So we're, we, we, we've, we're marrying into money that was acquired from, by families who are obviously more intelligent than other people. So our offspring, our offspring will be passing on these, will have these traits passed on to them. Uh, this, that's basic eugenics in action, and, and you're living through it. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop. Oh, we've given up the class distinction stuff, you know. No, that didn't happen. They camouflaged it in, in Britain and elsewhere. And out comes sustainability. There's too many of the, 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 these folk that won't go into the new society, this great new society. They call it the great society, by the way, you know. You hear the top politicians sometimes refer to the great society. And folk never say, what do you mean by that? Define it. Well, the great society isn't just a world-type system run, run by a clique at the top. It's also a, an advanced society. That, that, that the real socialists, because socialism they pretend is a science that's completely merged in with eugenics, by the way. George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells and all these characters and and the people who funded them and created the Fabian Society as one branch of their, you know, of their system. You've got to get the working class to believe that you're there for their benefits. Eugenics, you find that, um, that Bernard Shaw and others in charge of the Socialist uh, Party said that the average worker in Britain that would support them really think that the rights we're winning for them are going to help them be more comfortable in their family life. He says, nothing's further from the truth. He says, we plan on getting the women out of the family and, and abolishing the family. 
So all these these poor characters that were saying, yeah, this this Fabian Society, this Labour Party is great for us, you know. I had no idea that, that the elitists at the top had no intention of making life better for you. They wanted to literally smash it up and, and divide and conquer again. And ultimately start reducing the population. H.G. Wells said it too, you know. All these workers passing by the windows on their way to the factories, leaving dust on the streets and these miserable creatures and so on. And, and we, we help them, we help them get better food, we help them. And what did they do? He said, they breed. These are your top socialists. The folk don't catch up. They don't even know what they follow half the time. You know? And that, that footage that was put up about Rosie in England... It was, they had it up on YouTube. I don't know if they still got it up there or not. I may have a, have a search. I think I might have put it up years ago too. Because it's fascinating to watch it. She even, uh, she, she traveled, she traveled the world, the life of luxury, uh, by air and ship and all the rest of it. And, and princes would literally send their, their, their big chauffeur driven Rolls Royces and different parts of the empire out to meet her and take her in and so on, including in India, they did that too. And she took it all for granted, this this this, this natural way for her. She's completely took it all for granted. And they actually commented to her, put it all together, eventually put it up. So they commented on the fact she didn't know at times what she was even looking at, you know. She was looking at pretty colours and and things like that, of ceremonies. She, she went to Scotland to see how the Scottish peasants lived with their, with their Highland games that were put on there, and she saw them throwing the hammer and stuff like that. All very quaint, you know, how the little people live and all that. But over, in, I think, in South Africa at the time, she visited there, I think it was South Africa, and people know the whole movement by Gandhi started there. Because uh, Britain, the, the, the leader of Britain, used the empire. It shows you too, they, they, they used different groups or ethnic groups over other groups, and they brought in people from India to manage the African colonies, and, that, that, and also in the, in the Caribbean countries too. They become the overseers of everything, and they become wealthy as the, the folk they were ruling over <laughs> become poorer or, or don't get any further ahead. This is all, all worked out that way too. But, she, but anyway, Gandhi was trying to get more rights for the for the Indian workers in South Africa, and she didn't know it. She was filming a beach, and and she didn't know that the, to the right of of the scene, she actually see it. There's a guy talking to a crowd on the beach. That was Gandhi. She didn't know that. <laughs> she had no interest, and just more little people, I guess, to her, you know. But what a life of luxury she lived, and 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 really didn't think too deeply about it. Uh, but she, but great footage uh, left to posterity to, to actually see how things were in living colour way back then. Yeah. Good stuff. So before I start giving you any more of my prattle here tonight, I'd just mention that, again, getting back to the elderly, they, they don't fall for it, they, they care about the elderly. They, they didn't care about the elderly at all up until now, supposedly. 
and but we're supposed to be all for the elderly too because you're against the elderly if you speak out against the, this uh, the whole lockdown idea for COVID. Right? Oh, you want the old folk to die and get come on here. The government said <laughs> they care about the elderly. There's thousands die in their homes every year and freeze to death. Eh? It's either food or, or the, the fuel. Right? You see, the whole agenda for sustainability has been tested out in Britain pretty well in different phases and at different micro-tests, beta tests and so on. And so they know how to, to manage it all. Right down to how many folk will start to complain and, and who will keep silent about folk dying on the lower classes if they start getting famine, induced famine, because they've shut down the entire planet's economy. And so all they can do when you speak about these things, even from their own articles, eh, is, shout, is shout conspiracy theory. That's all they can do. They can't answer your, the charges. Oh, conspiracy theorist. See, facts don't matter to them. So you you start thinking for yourselves because bad times are coming along the pike. And you've got to have little support groups because don't look to government to help you in the really bad times. You should have little support groups, not not many in a group. There's enough there to help each other out. And the old story is true, that the two heads are more or better than one if it comes to a crisis. And you can put things together and figure a way out of things. Very important. And again, and again before I get off the elderly here, you're in total lockdown. Hmm? They're celebrating the fact that the whole the climate, the climate agreement's back on track. It was never off track, by the way. It's all a big show. Because I've read the articles with the states in the U.S. and inclusion with ones in Canada, the provinces, had bypassed the federal government years ago and were signing on to all the agreements for sustainability. Remember, I read them on the air years ago. So here's the ones who care about the elderly, right? In the middle of a, of a, a coming food crisis, coming everything crisis, coming uh, fuel crisis, and you got the fr- fr- first thing oil industry reels as Biden targets fossil fuels in the first days. It was planned way in advance by the Hoover put them in, and it says uh, it cancelled the Keystone XL oil pipeline in Canada. It was run through the states, yeah. thousands of jobs. Right? Later that day, his interior department mandated that only top agency leaders could approve new drilling permits over the next two months. And next week, according to people familiar with the plan, Biden will go even further, suspending the sale of oil and gas leases on federal land where the U.S. gets 10% of its supplies. I wonder if they're going to bring stuff in from you know places like the Ukraine and that, yeah. You ever see the plans for the oil pipelines all through those areas that they're all over there with right now? Across the Middle East too. They had them going through uh, the countries they've knocked out, Iraq, etc. They had all the pipelines and and maps yet before they invaded. (laughs) They showed you them. These were the plans for these, and even the corporations that would own them. Same thing across uh, Ukraine and elsewhere. So anyway, it says the action sent oil producer stocks tumbling and raised blood pressures across the country. So they start cutting back on your own ability to heat yourselves in your own country during a complete lockdown that's supposed to last for years. 
what do you think is going to is going to exacerbate to make it worse? A, a full scale war type scenario you're going to see. Everything's going to be rationed. Eh? There'll be deaths. Oh, well, we can't help it, you know. And, and they'll divert you off with silly stories about dancers or or the characters that uh, the, the, the made stars that just do a dance or that just take pictures with Harley and none. I mean, it's just astonishing the careers they can get now with on the internet and doing stuff like that. But that's great diversions when really terrible things are happening. Eh? So it says. Uh, so the officials in the, in the whole industry are worried because technical permitting decisions are being placed in the hands of political appointees rather than expert regulators in the field, and they're concerned that permits or simply changes to them will be delayed for existing drilling operations. And it says many interpret it as a prelude to broader actions, including the administration's plan to next week to impose a moratorium on all oil, gas, and coal leasing across some 700 million acres 2.8 million hectares of federal land. Hmm. So the, the announcement is intended as a temporary ban on leasing and permitting, but is also a precursor to a longer-term ban, said Kathleen Scammer, head of the Western Energy Alliance. And this is, this is your whole sustainability agenda. It's great. I mean, sustainability, remember, is about too many of you. You're getting the point. Too many of you. They keep telling you like a mantra, too many of you. Not them, but you. Yeah. And I know from the, the trains that, are, that take my, not my house apart, that I, I'm so close to the tracks. But they they did away with uh, the, the the speed. The train used to be a, it used to be a law that they couldn't go any more than 15 miles an hour past uh, occupied, you know, houses on either side. And they quietly did away with that. Now they're tearing down there at 70 miles an hour, doubled up trains. That's this is big big. Um, those big carriages are doubled, you know, one top of the other. Sometimes five miles, six miles, and seven mile long. There's no doubt about it. Because it can take maybe 10, 15 minutes to go by me. And they're flying. And the house is shaking. I mean, there's not a window that, that's, that's not loose now. I've had bits fall off of the parts that hold the window in place, in fact, with the vibrations. Well, since the last year into the present, most stores are, are closed, right? This isn't this isn't uh, for commerce. So what is it? Well, it's mainly food and so on for long term, long term uh, sustainability or continuity of government, or, or definitely places where they plan to have wealthier elites, important folk all live because it's not going into the stores that are closed. And I've never had so many trains per day as now, even when times were better before this 2007 and 8 crash. We're way beyond what it was in the so-called good times. At one time you could maybe 10, 15 a day at the max in the best of times. Now it's sometimes 30 to 40. Everything's closed now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just mention some articles here, though, that could, because it's interesting to read some of them. There's nothing really that new in a sense. One, as I mentioned before, and I put it up last year, then an update to, to, to yeah, this came out last year too, but I got the old ones on, on it too, by the way. 
but pathogenic priming likely contributes to serious and critical illness and mortality in COVID-19 via autoimmunity. And it's interesting, too, because they they know what's happening and what's going to happen with the vaccinations. And then when you hit the the wild virus, or the virus in the wild, as I like to call it, um, you can get an overreaction by your immune system that can end up killing you because it'll flood the lungs with uh, antibodies and all kinds of things. It'll try to defeat the problem, including different phages sites also, which will eat away at dying and dead tissue in the lungs, and uh, it perpetuates itself. It's a massive overreaction uh, they've found before. They know this can happen with with certain vaccines, but uh, it was interesting, I've said before, they didn't do the the called-off doing amongst healthy young patients, right, who had went through physical tests and the whole thing, and blood tests, a whole lot. Uh, they didn't give them the challenge test to, to expose them to a, a live virus afterwards. Because they said they didn't want young folk to possibly get ill. Well, what about the whole population? When we get the challenge test and hit real viruses, it doesn't have to be this particular coronavirus either. But facts don't really matter. But they said this anyway is... Um, a good enough article for those who want to plod through it. It goes through the, the biochemistry involved and put that with it works, etc. They mention the, the glycoproteins and so on. And what they think might be the cause of, uh, of the overreaction is, is the, the priming of the immune system, which they observed during the initial SARS outbreak back in 2003 or so. Um... And they did the animal studies too of SARS spike protein-based vaccines leading to increased morbidity and mortality in vaccinated animals who were subsequently exposed to the wild SARS virus. That's what I'm talking about the challenge test is when you subsequently expose them after the vaccine. The problem highlighted the two studies became obvious following post-vaccination challenge with the SARS virus. They found that recombinant SARS spike protein-based vaccines not only failed to provide protection from SARS-CoV infection, but also that the mice experienced increased immunopathology with eosinophilic infiltrates in their lungs. I had that before when I got a whole bunch of vaccines in the 90s. It floored me completely, and it left me with with complete uh, um, rheumatoid arthritis and other problems too, and massive pneumonia, death of a good bit of lung tissue too. Uh, and it, so it says here that um, similarly found that, uh, um, and I had, I had a, a sonophils in the lungs too, by the way, by them. Similarly, it says found that uh, ferrets pre- previously vaccinated against SARS-CoV also developed a strong inflammatory response in liver tissue, which is like hepatitis response. Both studies suspected a cellular immune response. They found it as well, you know, during the, the what they call the Spanish flu. When you read the reports there, and there's this massive reports that were written by doctors that were very, I mean, really dedicated. I think they were actually more dedicated to, to the code of ethics and so on than they had back then as doctors and, and do no harm, etc. but also find out what's going on. But some of them did a lot of autopsies of the people who died with the Spanish flu. And the, the first thing they noticed was how heavy the, lung, the lungs were when they took the lungs out. 
heavy, they were completely gorged, you see, with blood as the body's immune system carried all the all the, 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 the different killer cells to the site to try to find, to kill off what it perceived as a massive attack. And so they die not so much of the infection, but the response to the infection. And um, and also with bacterial uh, secondary infections that set in. Once you cut you, any lung tissue, or any tissue really, is damaged by the, the initial cause of a virus, and it's broken, the tissue surface is broken, uh, uh, then in come the, the bacterium, and that generally is what causes most damage, you know. So anyway, you, you got um, this priming, as it's called, and this this is an article from the Journal of Translational Autoimmunity. It's called. In this article, they talk about uh, again they go into it in depth too for people involved in biochemistry. But they say that in the discussion, it says these results could explain in part the high rates of serious illness associated with SARS-CoV-2. They could also explain the lengthy asymptomatic period prior to presentation of symptoms characteristic of COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 could impair the immune system, or response. It could impair it, you see, initially. At first, and then over time, the immune system could begin to mount an attack on the myriad of proteins. Most of the identified human target proteins had low overall homology, but high local homology over short segments of their epitopes. The protein atlas results indicate that numerous proteins are expressed in a variety of tissues, as noted in Table 1. They give the tables to. Unintended consequences of pathogenesis from vaccines are not new. Now, remember this part, okay? Nor are they unexpected. They are unanticipated only if those who develop them do not include available knowledge in their formulation plan. For example, the H1N1 influenza vaccine used in Europe led to narcolepsy in some patients, resulting from homology between the human hypocretin, that's what's uh, orexin, receptor 2 molecule and proteins representing the vaccine. This was established via the detection of cross-reactive antibodies in the serum of patients who developed narcolepsy following H1N1 vaccination in Europe. Right? Then they go on about pathogenic priming may be occurring involving autoimmunity against multiple proteins following COVID vaccinations, like coronavirus vaccination, is consistent with other observations observed during autoimmunity including the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as cytokine storm. And uh, similar to the SARS-CoV animal studies found that mice vaccinated against MERS-CoV coronavirus, Middle Eastern syndrome, developed exaggerated pulmonary immunopathology when challenged with the MERS virus following vaccination. And they reported that lung mononuclear infiltrates were observed in all groups after virus challenge and that increased infiltrates that contained ozonophils and ozonophil promoting IL-5 and IL-13 cytokines were observed only in the vaccinated animals. <laughs> Interesting terminology they use in this one too. This is pathogenic priming may be more or less severe in vaccine or infection-induced immune responses to some proteins uh, than for others due to original antigenic sin. It's interesting, original antigenic sin. The immunological um, 
reaction against self-antigens may be made less severe as fast-evolving viruses evolve away from the original vaccine type. And this is what happens in normal viruses, just mentioned there. You get multiple strains developing. Many of them, most of them actually, are, are less harmful to the people. But they, they, the idea is that once you catch the lesser strains of them, uh, then uh, you start to evolve, get a quicker immune system response to it quite safely too. A natural herd immunity builds up, you see. So they're saying here that pathogenic brain may be more or less severe in vaccine or in, in vaccine-induced immune responses. So if you, if you have this massive cytokine storm, it's more likely to be caused by the vaccine, right? As opposed to naturally acquired uh, SARS, co-virus, and then your body's natural reaction to it. This is thus the screening of immunogenic epitopes from pathogenic priming potential via homology may be augmented by studies of autoantibodies that cross-react with epitopes included in the vaccines. That's quite an interesting little study anyway, and I'll put uh, this one up for anybody who wants to look at it. And again, pathogenic primering, uh, general translational uh, autoimmunity is a, a, an easier-to-read article here about it, too. I might just put that one up for you, the people, and if they want the PDF, they can download it themselves, I guess. Now, the, the, the techniques, too, of treating us like simpletons, little peasant type, you know, simpletons. This is the 500 pound COVID cash point. The politician, right, in Britain, right? They call them ministers. Minister I's astonishing plan to give everyone who tests positive for a virus a one-off payment to encourage more swabs, more swab tests at a cost of 453 million pounds per week. I guess it'd be a rush to try and get positive tests, eh? <laughs> That's from the Daily Mail, this one here. And so everyone testing positive for COVID could be given the £500 under dramatic plans being considered considered by ministers, politicians. And um, it's aimed to encourage more people to undergo swabs and self-isolate to stop the virus spreading. Here's the thing. Uh, there's so many articles come out here by top virologists talking about Naturally, naturally acquired herd immunity and that they've already shown in some studies that your own immunity is lasting longer and kicks in quicker against the coronavirus without any side effects, right, for most people. So uh, the scams are incredible. Everybody's got their, every scam artist has got their hands out for some, even, even the public relations companies, the PR companies and so on, and marketing companies, uh, it says, officials fear that too many with COVID symptoms fail to take a test in case knowing a positive result stops them working. Well, no kidding, eh? And again, even though the PCR test is so bogus and unreliable, it's not supposed to be taken seriously, really, by professionals who are coming out in the droves of admitting this. <laughs> it really is for false positives, eh? And all these cases are not sicknesses. They're just people who test positive. Uh, and again, with the PCR test, it doesn't tell you if you've actually got it, if you've had it. 
Uh, and if it's actually from that actual virus in the first place, we can't be certain of that either. And back to the same thing, to test and trace, the test and trace thing, you know, these contact tracers, is paying Deloitte's, it's a company, I guess, nearly a million pounds every day. A top-ranking civil servant at the Department of Health and Social Care told members of Parliament that 900 of the firm's consultants were employed, okay, at a rate of £1,000, I guess that's each per day. Yeah. A million pounds a day for test and tracing. Every shark's got their hands out, eh? So it says David Williams, a top-ranking civil servant in the Department of Health and Social Care, told MPs on Monday that 900 of the firm's consultants are currently employed at the rate of £1,000 a day. Disclosure of the astonishing level of expenditure comes after parliamentarians were told that the department, uh, DHSC, expected to spend £15 billion on coronavirus the next three months on testing alone. Do you understand why they must get the high numbers for testing? As I say, it doesn't mean you're ill or sick or whatever, or you've even got it. Fifteen billion pounds, eh? Particularly the rollout of controversial rapid testing to tackle the pandemic. Every test that they're using is controversial, whereas even if effective, or efficient, or truthful. It emerged last week and last year that more than a thousand consultants from Delaware had been hired by the government, but Williams had mentioned to the Commons Public Accounts Committee as the first time the true cost has become clear. Incredible, eh? Folk are going to come out of this as multi-millionaires And all these different scams are going on right now But I'll put these these articles up for those that want to go through them Because, yeah, it's most folk, again Most folk can't handle the truth It's It's hard it's depressing if you, if, you, if you let it depress you because it's meant, it's psychological warfare, a lot of us. It, the whole lockdown is psychological warfare. It truly is. And, and physical warfare too. Because so many people are getting sick just by the lockdown itself. If your mind starts to get anxious, you start getting sick in other ways as well. And, and here's an article I mentioned about talking now. Talking can spread COVID as much as coughing, says research. Another big, you know, multi-million dollar study probably as they throw cash out to all these con men that call themselves, you know, well, we're really scientists investigating it, you know. And it says, speaking to a friend when infected with the coronavirus could be as dangerous as coughing near them. Thanks to lingering particles, research has suggested. Well, that's, that's worth it right there, eh? Yep. So speaking, you know, breathing out the air when you speak, you see, uh, when infected with the coronavirus, that's if you're infected, right? Could, be, and again, could, there's, a, there's, there's your little escape clause for them, could be as dangerous as coughing near them, thanks to lingering particles research has suggested, and can be spread through a number of routes, including virus-containing droplets emitted when an infected person breathes, Speaks or cough. It's quite easy to stop them breathing. Then they can't speak or cough. Eh? How's that? Yeah. A factor experts said could help to explain why COVID seems to spread more easily in indoor settings. See, they try to get get into the houses, eh? so that there's no privacy anywhere. 
The last droplets fall to the ground over short distances. Tiny droplets known as aerosols can carry the virus over distances greater than two metres and linger. I wonder how long they linger for. Can they rest them for lingering? I don't know. They rest everything else for it. Uh, now experts have developed models to explore the risk posed by large droplets and aerosols. You need masks, you need distancing, and you need good ventilators so these particles don't build up in an indoor space and they're safely removed, he says. Eh? Ah, there you are. This is from an expert in fluid mechanics at the University of Cambridge, naturally. And uh, written in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society, D. Oliveira and colleagues report how they built models that take into account the size of droplets emitted from infected individuals when they speak or cough, as well as factors including the makeup of the droplets and the time it takes for them to settle. I wonder if I've done another study, if we get our hands out after this one, for another study to see if, if, if the language in which you speak uh, has an effect, eh? Because they, they can make a fortune there too, surely they could, yeah. yeah there you go. But it's such rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. Honestly, is you know, it's such awful rubbish. And here, here they go. Remember, I mentioned that when they wear two, like wear two masks or two ply masks, if ventilation is improved so the air is renewed five times an hour rather than the three times. This risk can be cut to under two percent. A similar drop can be gained if everyone wears three ply face masks. Well, definitely, if you stop breathing, I think that would stop the problem, right? Okay. <laughs> What geniuses these guys are, eh? Amazing, eh? Ah, madness, isn't it? Just total madness. And there's some articles that are just so rubbish you don't want to read at all, honestly. You know. But you've never seen such panic generated by government. This is a war of terror upon the people. And how they try to get you into guilt trip. The COVID vaccine, the Home Secretary in Britain says jumping queue for vaccine is morally reprehensible and hence it finds, he says. Then members of Parliament say there are loopholes in the NHS booking system because of a booking system of who should get priority, right? Ay, ay, ay. And again, the, the guilt tripping. So, so, so it says here, our comments come as top medics warn that people using software loopholes to get vaccinated earlier are at risk of causing the death. So people are more vulnerable than them. Well, you've already seen what's happening to the elderly after getting it. Oh, well, they're, they're dying anyway. Why are you giving that to people? Something that they can have a bad reaction. Yeah? Giving to people who are on the brink of dying. Why are you doing that? When their immune system's wrecked anyway, that's what happens. As you get older, your immune system starts dying off. Right? It's not, not as efficient as it used to be. I think that something's happened to us too with our diets and probably the pesticides and the food and all the rest of it. We're, we're not the people that used to exist. We're much weaker. I have no doubt about that at all. More than half the Church of England's parishes closed for Sunday services amid the COVID crisis. Eh? So more than half of his 14,000 parishes have closed for the communal Sunday worship. And some of the clergy are, are, are shielding, this says, and all parishes are making their own decisions with a number of churches deciding it's not safe enough to admit worshippers. Many parishes have moved their worship online, it says here. 
awaken the spike of coronavirus cases. Cases are the more testing you do, you'll, you'll, you'll never run, run out of cases. You understand? Even even if, if COVID nineteen was to, to just suddenly disappear tomorrow, you'll still be able to find cases with it with the tests. Cases. Uh, half the population feel lonelier now than ever before in their life. Says study. And the nation hasn't seen the family for over three months either, which is just one factor uh, contributing to the, the sad statistics that 55% of us are lonelier now than we've ever been in our lives. I guess they get paid money to do these articles too, right? these studies on loneliness. Uh, what do you expect when they shut down the economy or everybody and they're staying in their homes or else? Huh? What, what would happen when you shut them, shut them all in their homes and they can't get out? Or they get harassed or fined. What would that cause? I wonder. I wonder how much this study cost them. Yeah. As I've done it for you know a few pennies, I think. Really. See, they're all doing all the studies on it. Forty-five percent of Brits feel anxious about elderly relatives and neighbours who can't use technology to stay in touch with loved ones. But it says that despite that the age group perhaps is most acquainted with technology, is the one that feels the loneliest. Millennials feel lonelier. Uh, feel than any other generation. You understand that if herd immunity was allowed to, you know, light foot on as normal, herd immunity would sweep through the population so quickly, and you'd have your natural immunity to it, a lot safer too. Eh? Never mind the fact that you still survive, uh, you know, and go on into the future because you you won't go on to much of a future with this perpetual lockdown. And the wrecking of the purpose, the, the mandated war type wrecking of the economy for sustainability. Oh, sorry, the Great Reset, let's call it what they call it, the Great Reset. <laughs> Another article too, vaccinated people must stick to lockdown rules as they may spread the coronavirus, says Jonathan Van Dam. It's not like Van Dam, <laughs> Van Dam, but it says... Um, Getting your COVID-19 vaccination doesn't mean you can liberate yourself from lockdown or other restrictions. This is from Sky News. And it's a warning from England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Professor Jonathan Van Dam, who says the millions of people who have received their jab must still obey social distancing rules. Those who refuse risk prolonging the, the pandemic and its associated restrictions, he said, adding they could also be putting at risk those who are vulnerable but further down the priority list. Professor Van Tam said that while a vaccination can prevent serious illness, and so this will be like, it doesn't say will, it says can. It's just like saying maybe. <laughs> it's not yet known if it prevents transmission of the virus, so you could spread it. And they're worried now that folk who've had the vaccination are going to spread the virus. So anyway, he wrote in the Sunday Telegraph, even after you have both doses of the vaccine, you may still give COVID to someone else and the chains of transmission will then continue. If you change your behavior, you could still be spreading the virus, keeping the cases of, uh, number of cases high and putting... It, it just, all you do is stop doing the testing. The, case, the number of cases will drop, plummet. Then use clinical diagnosis, like, like, like observation, history, temperature, you know. Signs and symptoms, all the stuff they should be doing anyway to get proper diagnosis. Number of people with severe allergic reactions exceeded normal levels after California Clinic vaccinated local residents 
with a batch of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, reported the Los Angeles Times Monday. And uh, California health officials have asked the state's medical service to suspend vaccination from this particular batch of vaccines. That's a big blow to them because they'll, they'll get round up, of course. They'll, they'll say, well, we're going to order it from a different batch or something because they're not going to stop, you know, no matter what happens. Another article about the same one there. They're just a halt to using a batch of Moderna doses after fewer than 10 people were treated for possible severe allergic reactions, you know. They all received the vaccine at the same community site. You know. And they need, to, they need medical attention over a 24-hour period. Pan says no other similar clusters were found. Pan didn't specify the number of cases involved or where they occurred. Well, this is, this is how they give you information. They just don't give you all. And... Uh, on it goes, eh? A record 250,000 small firms on the brink of closure. This is an industrial body. This is from um, uh, Sky News again, business reporter. says business confidence is its weakest since the, the financial crisis of 2008. No kidding. Well, that's what happens when you can't have any businesses at all. I actually like working. So a record 250,000 small firms are set to close this year under combined pressure from our coronavirus pandemic and Brexit. That's a Britain. They're blaming Brexit for it, which is a bit nonsensical. This is the Federation of Small Businesses said its, its survey revealed a huge cost ahead for the employment without additional support from Treasury to help mitigate the challenges faced by members. So they said the, 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 the lowest, the second lowest uh, level of confidence, business confidence since the financial crisis at a time when firms are, are grappling renewed COVID-19 lockdowns and so on. And they go through a lot of the companies, different kinds of companies are going down quicker than others and so on. Another one too is, um, oh yeah, doctors in Norway have been told to conduct more thorough evaluations of very frail elderly patients in line to receive the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine against COVID-19. Following deaths of 23 patients, it went up actually to about 33 the other day there. Uh, I like how they always get these same numbers in the papers, eh? 33. You've seen that a lot these days. Yeah. So anyway, it says the agency um, investigated 13 of the deaths so far and concluded that, that common adverse reactions of the MNRA vaccines such as fever, nausea and diarrhea may have co- contributed to fatal outcomes in some of the frail patients. Yeah. There's a possibility of these common adverse reactions. Common adverse reactions. Huh? Collapsing your blood pressure plummets, eh? <laughs> With the shock of it all, of that allergic reaction. It's just common adverse reactions that are not dangerous and fitter younger patients. Well, we're talking about the elderly here, eh? So we you bring in fitter younger patients in. And not unusual with vaccines. It may aggravate underlying disease in the elderly, Madsen said. That's the ones in charge of uh, Norway's health. We're not alarmed or worried about this. And I'm sure you aren't because it's not you as dying. Because these are very rare occurrences and they occurred in very frail patients with very serious disease, he emphasised. We're now asking for doctors to continue with the vaccination, but to carry extra evaluation of very sick people whose underlying condition might be aggravated by it. Oh, now they're thinking of that, eh? Aye, aye. 
I tell you. Now, Bloomberg has an article about this too, doing a bit of damage control, I guess. But like all new drugs, the vaccines that have been authorised to protect against COVID-19 come with some safety concerns and side effects. And they mentioned that the two Western shots deployed, one from Pfizer, Inc. and BioNTech SC, and another from Moderna, Inc., have experienced fevered headaches and pain at the site of injection. The side effects generally disappear, disappear quickly. More worrisome, a small number of vaccine recipients have had serious um, but treatable allergic reactions called anaphylaxis. Norway reported deaths amongst elderly people with serious underlying health conditions following administration of the Pfizer-BioNTech shot, but a review by the World Health Organization found no evidence of a connection to the vaccine. Do you see how much they really care about you with that, that, that blithe <laughs> comeback, eh? Oh, a review by the WHO found no evidence of a connection to the vaccine. No, no. It says, so it goes on to say, to, to rationalise the deaths, uh, 33 were reported in mid-January among some 42,000 people given the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in Norway, where authorities have prioritised the, the immunisation of nursing homes and residents. So those who died were all in the 75-plus years bracket and include terminally ill patients anticipated to have only weeks or months to live. Why would you be given these folk who have no immune system anyway because they're on anti-carcinogenic drugs and radiation therapies, which destroys any immune system you've got left? You know that. That's just fact, eh? Says after, why would we given them these vaccines? That they, they, they care about them. This is this is the best medical advice, supposedly the specialist. You can are you really believing this? So after a, a review, that the WHO Global Advisory Committee on Vaccine Safety said that the fatalities are in line with the expected all-cause mortality rates and causes of death in the subpopulation of frail elderly individuals. The committee concluded the risk-benefit balance of the vaccine remains favourable in the elderly. There you go. So it's a, it's a benefit, it's a risk-benefit. And it's, it's just sad if they die with it, you know. Just uh, so there you go. I wonder if they'll put more down as COVID deaths. It says, um, in January, there have been more than 800,000 people have received their first two doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. And listen to this. This is the little bits that come out. The Paul Ehrlich Institute has investigated at least seven cases of elderly people dying shortly after vaccination. In its report, it said the deaths were probably due to the patient's underlying diseases, including carcinomas, kidney deficiencies, and Alzheimer's. Not inoculation. The Paul Ehrlich Institute, you know, the, the guy who, who, who literally came out with the population bomb and had the big following and, and he goes, it, all the, the politicians courted him for his advice and too many people and, oh my goodness, eh, eugenics a whole lot. Paul Ehrlich Institute is investigating on behalf of the drug companies. Mm-hmm. Wow, there you go, eh? There you go, folks. His wife, by the way, was on the board of the Club of Rome. Yeah. Small world, isn't it? Doesn't take many folk to control the planet, you know. So there you go. So it's just the old folk dying. It's just old folk dying. That's the comeback on the, the 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 same ones that tell you, don't you care about old people? Why are you putting out information that might might not want the vaccinations? 
don't you care about the old folk? You might be causing their deaths by speaking out. And here they are when this happens. Well, they're on the verge of death anyway. You know, they're dying of this, that, and the other things. And <laughs> from the same, again, double speak, eh? From the same sources. Uh, uh, uh. And Fauci, again, says a vaccine may become mandatory. Mm, imagine that, eh? And um, some institutions don't really require employees to be vaccinated, adding that it's quite possible the vaccine will be required for overseas travel. Of course it will be. They do want a passport, but it won't be just for external travel. They want it for internal travel too. It's, you, know, you can see how they, again, the noble light, light the little poor little innocent sheep there. And, and oh, well, it's just for so-and-so, just for that. And then, then move the goalpost. Oh, oh the body done to it now too. That's how everything works, and and with the regulatory laws, which aren't really laws at all. And uh, you're definitely going to see the long-term effects eventually down the road, uh, because this is an experimental DNA vaccine, DNA altering vaccine here. Um. And again, oil industry reels as Biden targets of fossil fuels in the first days. Again, don't, don't forget that too. They really care about the elderly as they take away your choices and abilities to get different kind of fuels, you know. And, uh, and I'll put up the link too to Lord Sumption that I mentioned before tells the stage four cancer patients that her life is less valuable. The former justice remark made to the woman with bowel cancer during TV debate on COVID lockdowns. So you got some criticism for telling the woman of a stage where her life was less valuable. Yeah. Again, naturally, it was on the BBC One show, The Big Questions, on Sunday to discuss the question of whether lockdown was punishing too many for the greater good. Is that term the greater good, right? Lord Sumption, one of the most prominent anti-lockdown campaigners, said he didn't accept that all lives are of equal value. Yeah. He served on the Supreme Court till 2018 said he believed his children and grandchildren's lives were more worth more because they got a lot more ahead of it. Bad phrasing, too. He said he believed his children and grandchildren's lives were worth more. <laughs> if you want to be uh, nitpicking, as they say. Responding to Assumption's remarks, Deborah James, who has stage 4 metatastic bowel cancer and hosts the BBC's You, Me and the Big C podcast, said, with all due respect, I'm the person who you say their life is not valuable. And then he interrupted by saying, I didn't say it was not valuable, I said it was less valuable. But again, these characters are the same kind of characters that are into bioethics and who should get treatment, who shouldn't get treatment, who's worth saving, who's not worth saving. Everything that, that people were wary of when they set up the health services is initially the health services were to treat everybody equally, yada, yada, yada. Kind of like Switzerland does, you know. But eventually, the, the real agendas creep into them, and who to treat, who not to treat, yada yada. Because you're just a burden on society. Even though you you pumped all this money in society through your taxes, you you know you're a burden, you know. And the article here, which is quite interesting, to do with the World Wildlife Fund, which Prince Philip was up there with the Sierra Club, etc. And they're all connected. Yeah? Uh, for sustainability, all these different, uh, you know, nature conservatory groups are, are into acquiring the best farmland across Africa and different places so you can't farm it and grow food and stuff, you know. 
And Prince Philip certainly made no bones about it in his speeches about too many people, or too many of you, you know. So anyway, this article here is uh, the WWF forces industries to use expensive certification schemes controlled by the WWF itself to prove sustainability. It was in 2014, the World Wildlife Fund's senior vice president of markets and food, Jason Clay, wrote, We can't touch 7 billion people directly, or even 1.5 billion producers. But we can touch the companies that reach them. So the, the WFF decide not to spend its time or money on education strategies or working in partnership with industries and producers, but on assuming control of, the fu- of their futures. Remember, the futures are planned. It did by implementing its market transformation strategy, targeting the companies producers sell to, realizing that they could wield great influence by controlling the supply chains of local government legislation. The biggest benefit in taking the approach was the WFF could leverage the incredible power companies like McDonald's and Unilever, the largest manufacturers of ice cream, have over consumers. By going after corporate targets and forcing them to transform their operations, the WWF has been getting big business and many financial institutions to indirectly suggest to consumers that particular particular industries aren't following sustainable environmental or animal care practices, when at least in the case of agriculture, they are. And he goes into to say coffee, palm oil, uh, aquaculture and the forest industry have all been manipulated by market transformation and stewardship schemes, resulting in each having to abide by additional sustainability standards and third-party certification at significant cost to individual producers. Uh, it also, also let me, it's controlling the, the whole planet's food supply. I hope you're starting to get the point here of what, how they do it. Eh? It's been clear for a while that beef and cane are also in the sites of the WWF, with both appearing on the list of 15 commodities WWF states have the biggest impact on areas of global conservation. And as you've already seen from last week's articles, that Bill Gates has is now the biggest owner and purchaser of farmland, or of land anyway, in the US, I think. And I'm sure they have it all over the world as well. So we've touched on food production going into eventually rationing and probably starvation will come out across the world eventually with continued lockdowns for years. Eh? And taking over the food supply was left. The food, they already did that a long time ago, the big cartel industries. And uh, and they have massive monopolies, there's no doubt about it, on the food supply side of it. And water. Eh? I give the talks on everything you need to live on will be owned by them. Now you've got f- uh, f- uh, fuel as well. So you've got food and fuel. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, you, you, they're going after everything you need to survive. Literally survive physically. And it's all done by big think tanks. Eh? On behalf of these big foundations that are part of the big deep state. And there are some places are even giving away free cannabis for the shots, or with the shot, you know. And again, that, this article too has got a tongue-in-cheek thing because the owner of the greenhouse, this is the name of the, the company, I guess, with the cannabis, he said, we support the safe and responsible use of cannabis and hope this is the beginning at the end of this insidious pandemic. But of course, it's, it's, it's much publicity for him <laughs> and his company as it's to do with the, the pandemic. Yeah. 
And against a lot of folk will uh, go for that kind of thing too. Or, as I say, like in Britain, uh, even getting tested if you get a positive test. Again, it's one of these, it's one of these things that you might win, you know. You, you might win. It's like Tim Hortons in Canada. They sometimes have these coffee uh, specials on or winning specials where you'll win a bicycle or something. And they give you a list of things you could, you could win, and you roll, roll up the rim to win the collet. So you, you have to peel it up at the top, and it tells you if it's oh bad luck, try again. That's generally what you get. So same thing as as, as the possible, you might win something. So with, with the one in Britain with the five hundred pounds one, well you might win if you test positive. So I guess you can keep going back and back and back, hoping you get a positive test. Eventually you will with those tests. You get one regardless, but um, 500 pounds. A lot of scam artists there too, eh? On the go. I mean, you see some of the really good scam artists that, that find people who've tested positive already and try to get them the same day to, to get another test with using their name. <laughs> uh, you get quite wealthy that way, I suppose. And why not all the top corporations with their hands out for millions and billions of dollars and... This is this is plunder time. It's what Rothschild said when he'd been truthful, telling us when the best time to make money is, in investments or whatever. He said it's when the blood is running in the streets, meaning when you have massive crisis, it's when the best time to make the biggest profits because everybody's petrified and terrified and and hysterical in a sense. You can demand whoever you want. So you've all these characters out there with all their different apps they're coming out with and. And little gadgets to test, even better testing gadgets. All, all get their hands out and getting millions of dollars put into it to try a new, a new type of test or something like that. The end is up going nowhere, but you don't have to guarantee you get uh, anything made. You, you just you'll try. <laughs> well, I'll try and make this thing. Give me a few million dollars, and I'll see what I can do. So yeah, they're giving pot out and so on, and. Um, We'll see how well that goes. Also, Ontario, Canada, the top doctor. I like how I say it to you, a top doctor. What makes them any more top than anybody else as a doctor? They're political appointees. And it says daily COVID-19 cases will have to fall to around 1,000 to lift the lockdown. Now, that's what they're finding with these swab tests, right? The cases. The more, case, the more swab tests you put, the more they're going to keep climbing. I don't care if, if you tried it before COVID came along, it's all test positive. They're so faulty for what they, they're using them for here. But anyway, it says Dr. David Williams, Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, looks on uh, during the daily COVID-19 press briefing, Queen's Park, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they said that the number of new COVID cases reported daily should be around or below 1,000 before the lockdown orders can be lifted. So obviously, all you have to do is keep churning out even more tests to keep the lockdown. So the province's chief medical officer of health, Dr. William David Williams, said that officials would have to be able to guarantee hospital capacity could be protected before changing the public health measures in Ontario. Another thing, too, for folk who don't get I read the article about how, how they're managing inside the hospitals. And you've already had folk fined and arrested in different countries, in Britain, too, uh, for going into hospitals initially it's pretty empty. But I was reading an article there, too, that even in the ICU, in places where they're treating COVID cases, you know, that, that have got actual illnesses, that um, 
it would seem that they're over almost full because they've got to keep them so many meters apart, the beds and everything, eh? And now that they're trying to push it up to three meter, three or three meters apart, then that's fewer beds as they keep. So you get fewer patients in the same ward, you see, for COVID. So they can say that they're full. It's interesting how they finagle things. It's, it's like FDR said: there are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics. And of course, and you can hire folk who, who, who are specialists in creating statistics and warping them to to suit whatever you want to, that the findings to be. And that's a fact, folks. So anyway, it says, um, the province said that it becomes harder to support non-COVID-19 needs when the number of ICU patients with the novel coronavirus exceeds 150. Now, is that folk are in for different reasons or and, and also test positive? Or, you see, they, they, this is how they muddied the waters deliberately. Yeah. It says it becomes impossible to handle once it exceeds 350 people. It says, as of Monday, there are currently 1,571 patients in hospital with COVID-19. Now, where? Is that the whole of Ontario? Where is it? It says, of those, at least 394 patients are being treated in the ICU. And three or three, 303 are breathing with the assistance of a ventilator. Now, is it because it's winter and this is when you get all the other viruses too? See, they haven't been specific here as usual. And how many hospitals is, is those, are those patients scattered around in? And also, what's your annual intake at this time of year when you've got flu colds and, every, and, all, and all, all kinds of bronchial pneumonias on the go, as you do every year, every winter? See, there, it's too easy to fudge. Everything by omission, you see. That's why they do it too. Don't give them the rest of the story. And again, so uh, Doug Ford <laughs> issued a lockdown province-wide that December twenty-sixth. They shuttered all non-essential businesses and prohibited in-person uh, dining at bars and restaurants. And obviously, if you if, you, if your plan is to churn out about ten thousand tests a day, you're, you're going to fulfil your quota of too many cases, as you call it. It doesn't tell you if you've got the thing, had the thing, um, or even if, if that's what's testing positive for. It could be the other virus or particles thereof, etc. To do with the climate agreement, uh, the conference of parties again, they're going to meet again. They're going to meet in Glasgow, of all places. It says, uh, and guess who's going to be? John Kerry. Eh? John Kerry. Mm-hmm. Signaled on his first day that the Glasgow Climate Change Conference will be the most important event of the year. Well, no, no kidding, because that's going to ram home the whole sustainability agenda in collusion with the WEF and with the COVID exercise. Eh? So the, the U.S. president has signaled that all roads lead to Glasgow this year, and that's his, his climate envoy is John Kerry. <laughs> the same old faces and same names, eh? Familiar names and familiar places and familiar, familiar uh, faces and names. It's a song, isn't it? Uh, keep cropping up over and over. So it's a climate change summit to be held in Scotland, it says. And Kerry has tweeted, and I love how they tweet now, eh? Friends, today we get back to work. As I head back into government, I'll now be tweeting from Climate Envoy 
hope you, you'll follow me and join me in the road to Glasgow. Mm. Yep, there you go. So they've got an ambitious climate agenda, it says. So you're going to see sustainability as you cut back this and cut back that. And not just cut back all your, your fuel and oil and so on, but also cut back um, all carbon-based products, basically. That's what they claim. But you're, you're carbon-based life form, by the way. You know, that's what you are. Ontario Grant offers small businesses hard hit by the lockdown up to $20,000, it says. And it says there's no question that eligible small businesses need urgent relief to help them navigate the challenge, yada, yada, yada. Barry Chamber of Commerce President, that's Barry Ontario, Todd Tucky said most businesses should qualify for the grant. You look at your year of April 2020 versus the month of April 2019 and then compare the two, and if you show at least a 20% reduction, everybody will fudge that, folks, then you're you're eligible for the grant, to say. (laughs) There you go. $20,000. I remember reading this article a long time ago, before the COVID got a grip, supposedly. And uh, it's to do with collars. They were talking about putting collars on workers to keep them distancing apart. Again, even the company I know where it is too. And um, and I says, well, do they actually do this or not? Because, yeah, a, a dog collar on you, electro- electronically, like the prisoners wear, right? French factory workers could be forced to wear social distancing devices that emit a loud noise, like a dog collar, if they stand too close to each other. It says, a badge worn around the neck or waist would go off if two-meter distance is not observed. Hygiene company says it could help contact tracing with his factory workers. <laughs> but a French union condemned the dog collar as an attack on individual liberty. You better believe it. And it's a Swedish company, Essity, uh, which makes hygiene products. It has around 2,500 employees in France. Instead of planning to introduce the gadgets, which it claims could make the tracing easier, yada, yada. But, uh, so it goes on about the union again. That always repeat the same stuff to say Marigos now, eh? The company which makes the products, including tissues, nappies, and hand sanitizers, defended the proposal by saying it was meant to ensure employees' safety. Well, they could, they could put balls and chains on your feet for, for employees. Then you couldn't walk you know, beyond six you know, feet or whatever. Ah... <sighs> See, it won't be used to pinpoint people's location. Who's kidding who, eh? And it would be inactive in the toilets and the canteen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you think, you'd hope folk learn, that as you go through life, they can't trust any of these characters that, 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 that are above you there. None of them. Not none. Uh-uh-uh. That's, that's how they see you, eh? And again, some companies got his hand out for big bucks. You say, oh, yeah, yeah. Again, as I say, Ontario is way ahead. Well, Canada's way ahead of a very other country for euthanasia. And for, for getting the idea across, written by bioethics uh, counsellors and so on, you know, it's maybe time for you to die and uh, think about it. And, and it says, Ontario patients to be ranked for life-saving care should... ICUs become full documents show, and it's almost a, a carbon copy of what they turned out uh, last year. You see, is he get the message across? You see, 
So patients with the greatest chance of survival beyond 12 months should be prioritized for critical care in the event that overwhelmed Ontario hospitals need to begin rationing life-saving treatments, the provincial government said in a document. The province's triage protocol guidance states that patients should be assessed and placed in a colour-coded framework based on their risk of short-term mortality. So you're all getting colour-coded before you get in the hospital now, by the way. They know everything about you, if you've any medical history at all. And it says, so, so uh, it says, um, it's based on the risk of short-term mortality, which is defined as survival beyond 12 months after the onset of critical illness. In the context of a major surge in demand for critical care resources, I wonder what they're actually giving them in the hospitals for treatment apart from ventilators. Are they actually giving them antivirals or whatever? What are they doing? Eh? So this is the demand actually exceeds the number who can be safely managed with available resources, including ventilator supplies and trained staff. It's inevitable that some who may have otherwise benefited from critical care will not receive it, and as a result, some will die who would otherwise have lived. Well, the folk who can't get in for cancer treatments and stuff like that and every other kind of treatment, normal treatments, uh, are going to get worse. And they know that too. So, so from, the, from the authorities that care, right? They care about the elderly. And, but they just don't bother right now about the cancer patients and other folk who can't get treatments. And early treatments is very important in cancers when they're first discovered, you know, before they can really spread out there. So... There you go, folks. There's nothing to guess about. But I'll guarantee none of the wealthy elite or the politicians are all on the payroll and little special privileges. None of them are going to suffer and be on a colour-coded chart, believe you me. Since all patients being considered for critical care treatment must be assessed by two physicians and if a consensus about the patient's mortality risk is not reached, the more optimistic prognosis will be selected. If demand for critical care continues to exceed available resources at level three, there may be little clinical evidence to guide triage decisions on the basis of un, uh, of, of predicted short-term mortality. As a result, triage uh, decisions must appeal to procedural fairness. <laughs> there you go. ICU physicians should also reassess patients admitted to ICU at regular intervals and consider withdrawal of life support through a shared decision-making process with SDM, which is substitute decision-makers, or who they'll be if a patient does not appear to be improving despite receiving critical care. The document continues. This is getting you used to the idea of euthanasia, folks, because euthanasia can be given immediately through a medication or simply withdrawing, withdrawing treatment. Okay? And only then can they make sure that there's resources are, are available for other people, you see. And it says, we're at the dangerous point, epidemiologist Dr. Adelstein Brown, co-chair of the province's COVID-19 science table, said. Now, they have these science tables with all sit and, and debate, and with bioethics, eh? That this supposed new morality, we've got a diploma in morality, you don't have that, you see. And so we decide what's morals. And you're expendable if you're really, if you're just <laughs> color-coded on this particular color chart here. And uh, you're not really essential, you see. You know, a politician could be really essential and they'd have to pump a lot of money in them if they're a good yes-man or woman, you know. 
That's how it works. I tell you. As to get you ready for much, you know, similar things down the road, which is basically your own, your own need for treatment at some time, regardless of COVID. This is going to be permanent, you see, this, this, this devaluating, getting you to accept the, 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 devalue, the devalued life that you have. Getting you to accept it is very important. Well, okay, you know. And once again, on tier developing last resort guidelines on which patients to prioritize if hospitals are overwhelmed by critical COVID-19 cases. And there's another article about the same thing. Now, remember when 9-11 happened, immediately the media, again with government tax money, big money, this threw the money around for anti-terrorism, anti-terrorism, domestic terrorism, right? Came out with all this, these sudden big TV dramas, one in the States with the president and the different guys going after different uh, terrorists and shooting them on the knees and stuff. And they had the different actors involved. It's got more and more graphic. Canada came out with something called The Border. I think it was The Border. Big money. Uh, rotten scripts, naturally. And they actually had uh, a flight of, uh, I don't know, F-16s that were flying down to, to one of the bridges that connects us with, with the States. All fiction, fiction, it's strafing the bridge, by the way, you know, all incredible fiction to, to dramatize and this, this, this completely fictionalized terrorism, you see. As I've told you, most, everything you get for ent- entertainment today is pure propaganda. I don't care what it's about. It's indoctrinating you in something or another, guaranteed. Well, here's, <laughs> I fell off my chair when I said this one. Kenneth Branagh has to play Boris Johnson in new TV drama charting the Prime Minister's handling of the pandemic. So now we get a fictitious account of, of, of Boris Johnson. And no doubt he'll be crying over the deaths and, oh my God, so have I done enough? Have I done enough? You know. And someone will come in and comb his hair for him and lacquer it again to make sure it's all sticking out like a coronavirus head. Because, you know, he literally gets all that unkept hate. That's, that's literally styled from like, like that, you know. So, yeah, get Kent Branagh's going to play Boris Johnson, you know. Uh, I don't want to read any more of this, I'll be sick, you know. I think it's called The Scepter Dial. Who, who dreamt this rubbish up, The Scepter Dial, eh? A Sky original drama will tell the story of some of the most devastating events to ever hit the country. And if a prime minister leading through unprecedented times. When you read the, the article here, it's, it's like a script from World War II propaganda movie. It really is. It, you see, these are formulas which they use in wartime. And it says in this article here, I'll just read a little bit. You can, I can't help it because it's, it's, so, it's so funny. It says that the, the drama will trace the impact on Britain from this once-in-a-generation crisis the crisis has all come from the lockdowns, folks, and the destruction of the economy. Anyway, it says, and the response of scientists, nurses, and doctors as they work tirelessly to try and contain the virus is based on first-hand testimony of people from all walks of life. From number 10, Downing Street, uh, the Department of Health, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, that's the SAGE group, remember, that, that actually funded a subgroup of, of behaviorists and psychologists and nudgers, as they call it, to uh, 
actually exaggerate their stories on COVID to create anxiety in the public to get them to um, comply, the SAGE group. So so they're in it here too, and I'm sure they'll be tireless experts. Not portrayed as decent people, not not the the deceivers they are. Let's deliberately uh, increase the anxiety level, they said, right, in the public. Oh. Anyway, so here's the fictitious, the fictitious version of it all. It says, so Prime Minister Boris Johnson outlines new lockdown for England in a televised address to the nation from 10 Downing Street, London, setting out new emergency measures to control the spread of the coronavirus. And it says the five-part series was co-written and directed by Michael Winterbottom, Oh, that guy better have his fuel quotas in for the for the cutting back. Whose previous hits include Welcome to Sarajevo, A Mighty Heart, Twenty Four Hour Party People, and The Road to Guantanamo. There you go. He said the first wave of COVID nineteen pandemic series right, will be remembered forever. A time when the country came together to battle an invisible enemy. A time when people were more aware than ever of the importance of community. Doesn't that start st- stirring your heart? You're dirty, put a uniform in and march wherever they tell you. you know? Aren't they? Aren't you? All set for it, you know. Isn't that something? Remember that when they, when they put up, look for a, a reason to unite the, the, the people into sustainability, something they would have to fight for. The Club of Rome was given the task, they said, you know, to, to find something that would unite the people. They thought about all kinds of things and scary things that would unite them all. They discussed wars and everything. The only time that people come together. And so they, they came up with the idea that that plagues, famine, plagues, famine, pestilence, that kind of stuff, you know, that would fit the bill. Remember that? Remember that? Uh-uh-uh. May remember forever a time when the country came to get to battle an invisible enemy, a time when people were more aware than ever of the importance of the community. Ah, thank God for fiction eh? and propaganda. Uh, now, <laughs> all this stuff that's been happening, too, uh, there, there's so much performance going on. It's really performance, isn't it? To do with uh, everything on television is a show. I don't care the news show. Everything's a show, folks. That's what it is. Hope you realise that. It's never been so blatant as it is today. The same media and and the ones that used to run newspapers, the same names. It's all internet now. They had to get subsidies from the government for years because no one was reading their nonsense. It was such rubbish. But they're back in full force with the war, the war on terror, you know, and and I'm getting heavily subsidized again to put in all, all, all put in out all the fear in a in a common narrative you see the, the, the whole idea of wartime is to get the, all the opinions decided by experts that the, the people must parrot anything i don't care how divergent from the parroting is is hammered by the authorities that's what you're seeing now of course uh, there's no freedom of speech or freedom of thought or even speculation even if you said this is speculation doesn't matter it's forbidden you're living under an authoritarian system now. And you don't have to go far to look at it for all the signs and symptoms of it. So you, you've got to understand there's so much going on. And the same thing with, with, with uh, as I say, your whole life you've been living in an illusion uh, because you're trained to, to, believe, to be naive and to believe it's all real and nice, etc. Through the propaganda that fed you again with all the fictitious stories or fiction movies they've given you on, on politicians and, and how there's some decent ones there that, that 
you know, in, in that other world which doesn't exist, the one that they, t- they, they tell you to believe in. So folk can't believe it today when the same authorities are all parting the same stuff that doesn't make sense to you by your own observations. You know. That's how easy it is to control the people. They all get on board with the same mantra. That's important. And that's why Rockefeller's years ago talked about how to create, um, basically what we would call today total spectrum dominance. Uh, including complete control of every topic that they wanted you to parrot and to give you your opinion, the opinion makers, you see. And then so they took over a whole bunch, they created a whole bunch of newspapers and the rest of them would follow them. They knew, it, they knew exactly through a, surveys that they'd done how many they would need to control the whole of the U.S., newspapers and magazines, etc. And these, these ended up being the main ones that all the lesser ones would simply copy, you see. Quite easy, isn't it, really? The standardization of thought and opinion. A monopoly over thought and opinion. And they're, they're absolutely ruthless when it comes to, as I say, uh, not allowing anyone else to, to come in with, with a different opinion. But you've really been living through it your whole life long. And when you think of the, the, even the, the history of the U.S., when I was young, I thought, why, why is America off to Vietnam? I said, oh, it's treaties to sign with the South. The old story that Britain used to get into World War II is treaties and World War I. Well, we've signed these treaties with these countries. Some of them were only, in Britain were only signed a week before the war started because they wanted to divorce, you see. But you find it now with, with, you find it with Vietnam and it was rather evident to some countries that the real communism, if you want to call it communism, resided in, in the USA at the time, in the higher echelons of government and the State Department. You know? And you control, the, you control the State Department, you control the whole, the whole system in America and abroad. So why on earth were they off to this little country, Vietnam, to stop communism when it was taken over back home the whole time? When Marxism was, was getting taught in universities quite openly, same in Britain, you know, and training a generation to be Marxists, which they were, <laughs> a lot of them. Why would you be doing that and going off, off to fight at the same time, using all your resources over in Vienna? And nothing makes sense until you always re- realize that there's other reasons behind it. And part of the reason, the two, was to devalue Americans' ideas, impressions of themselves and their, their, their self-worth, which also has to do with power, obviously, uh, as, as a people and a nation, militarily. And that was their, they get bogged down in a, in a war which they couldn't win. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, given an inferiority complex when it comes to, to the ultimate managers of war, they were laughed at by the other Cold War countries, like China and Russia at the time, Soviet Russia and the Soviet bloc countries as the greatest nation uh, with the, the greatest armament power and all the rest of it was getting defeated by the Viet Cong. But in reality, too, they weren't allowed to win it anyway uh, in many different ways. And they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Obviously, foreign war entanglements, that's what Washington said. And others said it, too, that the nation will do well if we, if we keep out of foreign entanglements. We meant treaties, you see because it draws you into wars. 
And, and that's what makes no sense at all when Kissinger and the other guys, as I mentioned earlier, uh, about uh, Afghanistan, they helped to set up the whole system for the Soviet Union to bring troops, masses of troops into and get bogged down in Afghanistan. And they set up the, the, the rebellion to, to get the troops in. And and then they helped the Afghanis, many different tribesmen inside, different types of tribesmen, armed them and trained them and uh, bogged Russia down for such a long, long time until like, Russia was exhausted. The, the, the people at home were so sick of it, losing troops, uh, losing equipment, uh, losing resources and the whole thing. Uh, and kept demanding to get out of it, and it would dragged on for years until it exhausted them. And then, as I said, the troops were coming back home with, with masses of drugs from Afghanistan, which got into society in some of the big cities in Russia. Until it's a lot, the, the, their, their, their clinics and their mental institutions were full of people withdrawing from all kinds of heavy duty drugs. So, why would the U.S., once that was done, eh, uh, didn't wait too long once Russia was out and, and 9-11 comes, and then here they are attacked themselves, eh? and they're still bogged down there. See, when things don't make sense, it means that what they're telling you is for different, completely different reasons, that, that they're here, there, or anywhere else. It's nothing to do with the simplicity of what they tell you, because simplicity means that it, it's obviously bogus, you wouldn't do the same mistake that you set up Russia to fall into. You wouldn't do it yourself, obviously. So there's other reasons for it all. And again, you can go even into the different writings of some of the politicians. Of I mean, Gene Kirkpatrick was awfully avant-garde in the whole push for socialism across the world. And yet Ronald Reagan brought her into her, his, his, his uh, cabinet. And he set her up there because she, he set her up to, to plan out the, the strategies that she'd advocated. She says, rather than just, just go any countries one after another and, and change them and alter them or whatever through warfare, why not we, we set, we set, up, set up permanent bases across the world for it? And he did. That's what the US has done ever since. Permanent bases, you see. So whatever happens for the countries they've invaded, we're all, we're all planned long in advance. I'm sure there's a whole waiting list of countries still. We know there are, actually, who are still in the peanut groups, a bunch of ones that that general mentioned on democracy now. He says, well, we didn't understand why we're going here, there, and everywhere after 9-11. There's a whole bunch of, and the guy says, there's more countries on the list, too. So, yeah, everything, everything just falls into line. It's all pre-planned, obviously. They admit it is, and, um, and they follow plans that they've written years ago, absolutely years ago. So whenever you, you see anything happening on any kind of uh, lines, look at, look at the COVID uh, exercise. You, you had, you had uh, countless exercises before it, like tabletop ones, with the real participants, so-called specialists involved, Johns Hopkins and the Bill Gates, Melinda Gates Foundation, groups all, all working together and plans and World Health Organization authorities and stuff. And and even in 2010, the Rockefellers too were involved with them, with those last two groups for the, for the tabletop exercises and lockstep. You have all that happening for something 
that they obviously knew was going to happen, you know. Obviously. And in, uh, when they couldn't get it all rammed through through climate change control and, and post-consumerist uh, laws to get rammed through to save us all from consuming, uh, then bingo, here you get this taking over a COVID exercise. And now they're going to combine the two again for sustainability. Sustainability means they've got numbers which they say would be the ideal population to sustain the planet uh, and to exist on the planet. And believe you me, if that's the case, you're looking at mass genocide to make that happen. How else are they going to, who could they possibly do it? They're rather impatient. They don't want to see if the next generation they're not going to breed at all or volunteer for sterility. And I'm not making this up. They've, they've had lots of questionnaires put out over the years about this. Would you volunteer too? Blah, blah, blah. You know? So they do it the hard way, which is, which is the, they'll say, it's, it's tough love, you know, tough love type of technique, and you're going to get it whether you like it or not, and that's it. And that way they go. You're living through it, folks. You're, you're all living through it. And most folk don't recognize it. Cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Remember, send a few bucks my way, because then the top most folks forget. I'm not there yet, mind you, at the end, but just to remind you, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, and you'll see how to send a few bucks my way and help me just um, keep going. Because believe you me, you, you have no idea. You have no idea. I've, I've mentioned unconventional warfare. I've mentioned the Department of Defense their own manuals about it, how they've trained folk and how they instruct them to go into countries. They can be there for 10, 15 years. Bloggers and everything, that's what they do. And they become the leader bloggers, you see, and they get well-financed eventually, but they take off gradually, and then they start bending and, and getting one group to, to, ready to, to fight another because they're taught to hate them. They actually do teach them to hate other groups so they can divide and conquer, divide and conquer. And you've witnessed it in America all through the last, last year to the present. Same thing, same people behind it. No doubt about military. And they, they organize coups, overthrows of, of existing people in order to put their own characters and their own puppets in. Formula, complete formula. That is made by, including setting up a, a lot of people to go. Decent people, thousands of dis, disenchanted people who've been tossed to the side for years, actually. That weren't class people too. To air their grievances and use them to demonize the whole lot of them by putting a few trained radicals in in the front for this big photo op that went in, that for the ones that actually went into the to the the building on January the sixth, and a lot of fools followed it because they thought it was all real. But believe you me, if you do some kind of rebellion, you you, you would obviously be well trained in advance. To do it, huh? or a revolution, you just don't have spontaneous, we're not happy type things. No, that was all a photo op to demonize what was to come. As we, we all know this, and unfortunately, folk will forget who who conned them into going, uh, who actually got cash to, to help promote it, huh? and uh, and and you'll see them all backtracking now. Oh no, we didn't. We had nothing to do with that. And you have no idea how many bloggers emerged, have you, over the last three or four years in preparation. All all the the time they put Trump in, all these bloggers suddenly appear, well-funded and big. You get top billing at all the different uh, outlets of YouTube and elsewhere. It's top billing, eh? Uh, (laughs) 
and you think it's all real. Then they add the Q thing, and was a oh, can you believe that? And folk fell for that. To me, it was a joke from the beginning, that, you know. But folk were actually believing in it. It reminded me at the time of the Indian uh, dance, that they had the spirit dance, they had it. A lot of the American Indians had been pushed further south in the U.S. and put on reservations and they lost their land and everything. A lot of them were slaughtered, as we all know. But they came up with the spirit dance, the ghost dance, they called it. And they put up something like a maypole and they would have these thongs hanging down from the maypole with hooks on them and they literally put these hooks through their bodies and they'd run round at this pole uh, and occasionally their feet would, feet would touch the ground and they would push them, give another push and keep them round it until they were into a kind of stupor, uh, exhausted and, and, and anemic because they were losing blood, uh, stupor in order to get visions. Yeah. Now, this is the desperation of a culture that's seen its whole reason for being annihilated. It's happened in other cultures in the past across the world, and, Africa, and from Africans to Africans too. This is a, a thing that happens. And, and so these guys, these kind of shaman type guys would, would try to, the idea was that they would show, not just show their bravery by doing this, but if you could get into that stuporos in between state, between the spirit world, the ghost world, and your, and your own, you could communicate to the ghosts of, of previous generations of your own people to come back and, and fight for you to drive the white man out, you see. The invaders and and eventually I think the, the military stepped in to stop it because it was so bad. And whatever they had it, the, 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 the natives would, would get really, um, ang- you know, they, they would start doing crazy things and causing trouble and they'd get arrested, etc. for it. It was a last resort. It's also... Yes, I saw that, I think, in, interestingly enough, in when the, the, the last one of, in the series of Lord of the Rings, uh, or the last bit of the main, the main movie or the, from the book, where they go into the, the big cavern of lost souls and, so, and they recruit them all on their side. That's all from what happened, actually. That story came from, actually, um, the legends of uh, American Indians, the natives. I hate to call them Indians because they're not Indian. And they say, oh, Columbus made a mistake. He thought he was going to India by a different route. Who was kidding who? Right? Anyway, it reminds me too of the cargo cults, where during World War II, the U.S., across different uh, Pacific islands, set up small air bases and things for refueling uh, for long-term plans and agendas to do with the war. And the natives literally had never really met the white folk before. And they came out of the sky in these big metal birds, you see. And suddenly they were delivering them food and, and, and Coca-Cola and all kinds of things and, and trinkets. Some of them even made small businesses of, of using um, cans from, from canned meat and different things and, and canned vegetables. They, they beat them into bracelets and, and started little small businesses. Much, much later, some of them even used Coca-Cola cans and stuff. Quite fascinating to, to see the old documentaries that are still out there. And so these people would stay, you know, the basis might exist for, for the duration of the war, maybe a year later, and then they'd pull out suddenly, and they're gone. And the people literally were in shock. 
because to, to them, these gods appeared out of the sky in the big metal bird. And so what they ended up doing, uh, desperation, because they, they got hooked on what they thought was a good life so quickly with having, not having to scrape so much just for basic uh, existence. And so they built wooden planes that could be seen from the air and the hope to attract a mate down from the sky to continue. It's quite fascinating how... How, how humans react to different things, and if no education, and that's your whole reality is almost like the Egyptian reality that was in between worlds of imagination, myth, uh, superstition, uh, etc. It all combined together. So the real world it would have been interpreted through through eyes of the of the mystic in a sense. And so you can't blame the cargo cult people from doing what they did. But that's almost what it's like with. with uh, what you see with the build-up to Trump, Donald Trump, and how people are led up the garden path for years. He, he tweeted a lot, but he didn't do much for the for those people, really. And we also had a great display of the intense hatred of of the media, either playing their part, because I really think that this was a con from the beginning. It's my personal opinion that you watched a big psychodrama. Everything's a big psychodrama. And everybody plays their part because the whole idea is to eventually, get to, very quickly actually, to go into a post-democratic society aided with the help of, a, of a, a pandemic, right? Which has to eliminate democratic principles under a crisis situation. That's no coincidence. That all culminates to, until folk are so fed up with politics, oh well, so we might as well have a one-party system then, you know, of experts. Well, that's what they want. Did everybody just play their part here, including the media? Because the, the venom spewed by the media, regardless of what, what people thought really of Trump, the venom has never been seen before uh, to, to, against anyone like that before, really. And now the same media is portraying all that, all the attendees, all the disaffected people who showed up and who didn't storm the Capitol as terrorists, which is likely the plan of the whole thing. And the only real people, gullible people, were the folk who attended it and didn't storm the building. Because there were a lot of genuine grievances out there too. It wasn't just voting, it was to do with with work and, and jobs and the cost of living, etc., etc. You know? And being demonized all the time. Set up, and interestingly enough, there, there's um, a documentary, I might see and put it up, about... Uh, I think it's the 10 steps to genocide uh, written by a woman who goes into the histories of genocide and how the people are always set up. The first thing they do is demonize an enemy. I've never seen such demonization of one group. They're targeted, as I'm seeing today. You better remember all that, you know. It's all all scripted, obviously. Because all the media, once again, went across the world went on into battle at the same time with the same smearing of all the people. People who had nothing to do with storming the building or demanding to get in. But the ones who did get in, but they're all known who they were, mainly. Some definitely followed, some Trump supporters definitely followed. But, mo- but the, the vast majority of them who got in were, were of different groups, of the, a lot of government agents too in there. But everybody else got, they would have gone home if, if Trump hadn't said, you know, hang around, go down in the building. Uh, you know, they would have gone home. 
at the end. That'd have been it. What a setup, eh? So it's a, a whole group of people and, and everything that they represent, and just by their ethnicity alone, <laughs> although there's multiple ethnicities there, they're making out there's not, you know, because there, there's one they definitely are smearing like never before. It's just astonishing. So, yeah, you have to look at different techniques of genocide and how it's been done. And I speak from a country, as I say, where they did it in Scotland against the Highlander people. Planned genocide, you know. But we're civilized now, aren't we? We don't do these things now. It doesn't happen now. <laughs> really. What do you think Rwanda was all about? And the meddling of foreign powers in, in that too, and supplying of weaponry too to certain areas, and the withholding of the, the Canadian generals who, who hadn't many men underneath them for the United Nations, and, and telling him to stand back and just stand back and watch all happening. They didn't support them, didn't send the troops over, nothing, no. So you're left with the obvious conclusion that what was what happened there was planned to happen. But we're constantly living through agendas. And when you see the size of the population of the world, if you have even, say, a hundred million people in high-level positions of managing us all, it's not difficult to make anything happen or, or to make everything, anything perceived to be the way they tell you it is. It's all perception management, isn't it? And if they keep you running and, and being afraid and terrified all the time, most folks shut down or they will not perceive what's in front of them and why things are happening. That's what terror is for, is to make you to comply and, and to be so afraid um, they can change everything one step at a time, but very quickly, because you're stampeding, you see. You have no grounding in reality left in you. It's intentional. But the hype of the COVID thing, the, just the clips I've seen on the net that came from television, from me, mainstream news and so on, it's just over-the-top hype. The way that they're speaking is, is like actors or something, with, using a, the voices they would use in a terror movie. Hype, 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 to exacerbate, you know, comply is the message, really. If you want to live, comply, comply, and that's how it's done, isn't it? So, Evan's a big psychodrama. You know, 9-11 was a psychodrama. You can argue forever what was behind it, but the fact is that you, you, what they saw on television was a psychodrama. R- repetitive psychic driving. Here's the, here's the planes, buildings, boom, 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 over and over and over for days. Until I'm sure most folk were seeing it in their sleep. That was intentional psychic driving, they call it. MK Ultra type experience. Over and over. The same narrative. The same narrative. Same narrative. Same narrative. Mm-mm-mm. And out of it comes part of a new world order. Eh? <laughs> Post-democratic. Post-privacy. Now the psychodrama didn't stop with, with what they showed you with them um, going up the, in, into the building and staying within the, the ropes and all the rest of it for the tourists. But uh, it continued with, the, with the, this overreaction with the National Guard getting called in for Obama's inauguration. That's a continuation of psychodrama. And the history books were written in advance for that kind of thing. This is a Pentagon vows to vet National Guard for extremist ties ahead of inauguration. So, so this is thought police now, isn't it? You, you understand how you're, you've been trained into a whole new system with thought police and 
your, your life's um, your life life's value is for you or for them as they look at you and are you important, non-important, essential, non-essential, yada yada yeah. And here's the thought police coming in, and I really mean it. They've got the thought police out there anyway. They're working with the net to see all, all the different stuff you've been watching what you're, since you've been on the net. You're already you're already pigeonholed and categorised. And so this one here is more than 21,000 National Guard troops assumed. 21,000, come on here. Positions across the heart of the nation's capital. Monday's military and law enforcement officials took new steps to head off any insider threats among the massive force of part-time soldiers during President-elect Joe Biden's swearing-in this week. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> So I'll put that link up too. But it's a massive psychodrama. The folk who watch TV are, are all being indoctrinated and damaged in a sense. It's meant to kind of injure you psychically and, and imprint itself in your mind forever. Just like 9-11. Senate confirms Avril Haines as Director of National Intelligence, it says here, the Washington Post. So as a lawyer and former deputy director of the CIA, you feel better now, eh? As a director of national intelligence, 84 to 10 votes signaled early bipartisan support for President Biden's slate of national security nominees. These are things that are all planned in advance, all these kind of things. It's, even they've admitted that a lot of the, the, the different documents that Biden signed were all pre-planned before he got in. <laughs> all printed up and the whole thing. Just sign here. Anyway... It says here, interestingly enough, he's a, he's a CIA man. It says, Haynes had played a key role in Biden's transition and was an early favorite for the position. No kidding, eh? CIA. The Office of Director of National Intelligence was created in the wake of the September 11 attacks to help coordinate uh, an intelligence apparatus that includes the CIA, the National Security Agency, and more than a dozen other organizations. So there's 14 organizations uh, or more. It's, it's similar to Britain because years ago um, they created a, a kind of overs- a, a top of the pyramid scheme for all the different intelligence agencies in Britain. It, it created a lot of friction at first amongst them because they didn't really like each other. They're all competing for 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 recognizance really of their abilities to, to do what they're doing, and then they put give them out. They put this overseer in charge of them all. Which again opened up to the spy world even more so than it had before, like foreign spying. Yeah. Anyway, it says Haynes would be the first woman to serve in the position. She was also amongst the first cabinet nominees Biden announced, and signaled that he intends for her to serve as the principal leader in the public face of the spy agencies. So there you go. It's it's all right there. This one here too is. Um, an article is from the British Medical, it used to be called a magazine, but it was The Lancet, too. and it says the Trump year is drawing to a chaotic close. That's the perception you're supposed to have. The events of January 6th, blah, 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 when a mob provoked by President Donald Trump minutes before stormed the U.S. Capitol building and forced Congress to flee to take shelter. Now, this is a, what's, this, what's this medical journal doing talking politics like this? This is The Lancet, for goodness sake. Huh? I mean, it really is something quite, quite telling, this. 
uh, even the way they've worded this, so it's almost like he's the he's the predetermined story that 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 all have to parrot, right? When a mob provoked by the president minutes before it says stormed the U.S. Capitol, a mob, yeah, and forced Congress to flee and take shelter, shocked the world. And says the refusal to accept the results of a legitimate election and the use of social media to ba- uh, baselessly attack election officials and issue so distrust in democracy. <laughs> democracy. Here's the people who want a one-party system. Are all uh, emblematic of what will be Trump's turbulent legacy. So that's one thing they achieved definitely through it all is this new update on a private security like intelligence system within America, another one. A civilian one that they'll is, is to go through all society and again embed itself in and keep its eyes and ears open and find out who's who. This is the Stasi. This is what's really come up to come down. This the Stasi system, no doubt about it, folks. And the KGB type, the KGB um, had a, its own form of the Stasi. You know. I mean, the KGB itself was was mainly for foreign intelligence. But it also had uh, departments that dealt with uh, internal problems. Now, dark money, it said in this article here, helped pave Joe Biden's path to the White House. Dark money. And it's business week this one comes from. So he benefited from a record-breaking amount of donations from anonymous donors to outside groups backing him, meaning the public will never have a full accounting of who helped him win the White House it says his winning campaign was backed by $145 million in so-called dark money donations, a type of fundraising the Democrats have decried for years. <laughs> they always decry when someone else is doing it. These fundraising streams augmented Biden's $1.5 billion haul in itself a record for a challenger to an incumbent president. Amounts, uh, the, the, that amount of dark money dwarfs the $28.4 million spent on behalf of his rival, uh, former President Donald Trump. Yeah. So that's what that cost for Trump, supposedly $28.4 million to run. Uh, and uh, so he, he got $145 millions for, for Biden dollars, $145 million bucks to run yeah, from dark money donations. Quite some, eh? Democrats have said they want to ban dark money <laughs> when others are using it as uniquely corrupting since it allows supporters to quietly back a candidate without scrutiny. Yet in their effort to defeat Trump in 2020, they embraced it. It's not a bad little article, the same. It shows you where a lot of the money, some of the money did come through different um, organizations that have been set up in advance. I can remember when Bill Clinton was running and towards the end it came out that millions, I don't know how many, much it was, but millions suddenly appeared to back him to run for president. Uh, and, it, and one of them was through a, a supposed Chinese, I think it was Chinese um, Buddhist organization, that's what they claimed, that had only been set up not too long beforehand. This is how the money was funneled to them. And that way they, they could get it from another country rather than say, well, this country is sending this money over. They know they could do it through a, through a, a Buddhist religious organization. See, it's, even believe the scams that go on with the CIA at the top, you know, of things. 
And the CIA, they're all amalgamated long ago, it doesn't matter who they are. You can't keep them out, could you? An evidence-based guide, and this is, this is from, it's called Evidence Not Fear. It's not bad for a lookup, but I, I'm, very, I'm very careful with everything I look at, I tell you. I also know some of the, some of the, uh, the bloggers that are out there, just like the color revolutions I've mentioned, that send them the same thing across the States and elsewhere in Canada, and that they can set up and fund, and who jump on the, the Q bandwagon help push it all too, that's a clue, you know. Uh, so it's, uh, you've got to understand, they're going to be likable, they've got to put a lot of the, the truth that, that's circulating amongst the underground, put it that way. <laughs> and they will, and then they add on their little nonsense onto it, like Q and so on, and discredit everybody else who's sticking to the bare facts. That's how counterintelligence works. But uh, yeah, lots of them sprung up over the last couple of years or so. Two or three years, and they already had their big ones all taken over long ago, mind you, for the main propaganda outlets. China health experts call for suspension of COVID vaccines. That's the ones, as Norway investigates the 33 deaths, that's what I'm saying. And Germany probes 10 deaths as well. So I'll put that one up as well. And they have links to Barony um, vaccines. Uh, they were used, and it gives you the links to from the Global Times uh, newspaper, etc. They give you these links to them to verify it. And also mentions Bloomberg reported that the number of deaths under investigations in Norway had risen to 33, and they all had occurred in people ranging from age 75 to 80. And Bloomberg's article said it's important to remember that about 45 people die every day in nursing homes in Norway. So it's not a given that this represents any excess mortality that there's any, there, or that there's a causal connection. Of course not. But however, the Norwegian Medicines Agency previously told Bloomberg that all of the deaths occurred in people who received the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which until Friday was the only COVID vaccine approved for use in Norway. The Institute told Bloomberg that for those with the most severe frailty, the elderly and fra- they're frail, even relatively mild vaccine side effects can have serious consequences. No kidding, eh? For those who have a very short remaining lifespan anyway, the benefit of the vaccine may be marginal or irrelevant. Well, why are they using it on them like guinea pigs? Oh. And it says the Institute also admitted to to Global Times that the clinical trials that resulted in emergency approval of the vaccine included very few people over the age of 85. Were were there any? (laughs) I wonder. But added, we assume that the side effects will largely be the same in the elderly as in those over 65 years of age. Once you're over 50-odd years, you're plummeting with with your immune system, its ability to recover from things and fight things off. So 65 to 75 to 85 is 20 years difference. So why would you expect the side effects be largely the same for those in the elderly as those in over 65 years of age? And according to the Global Times, a Beijing-based immunologist who requested anonymity said the mRNA vaccines had not proven safe for large-scale use or for preventing infectious diseases. Noting that people over 80 have weaker immune systems, he said they should not receive the vaccine, but instead should take medicines to improve their immune system. Wouldn't it be more practical? Let's boost your immune system. Let's increase it. 
And it says in this article too that uh, there's also 29 elderly uh, people uh, died at a nursing home in New York. According to, to a January 9th news report, there's a link here to the article too from the news report in Syracuse. It says, a single nursing home in upstate New York vaccinated 193 residents beginning December 22nd and subsequently reported 24 deaths within the span of a couple of weeks. The facility attributed the deaths to a COVID-19 outbreak even though there had been no COVID-19 deaths in any nursing homes in the entire county until the first three deaths were reported December 29th. Remember the, the 56-year-old doctor, to the link is here for that one as well, who died of a rare autoimmune disease 15 days after getting the Pfizer vaccine. A Johns Hopkins scientist told the New York Times it was a medical certainty that the death was related to Pfizer's vaccine. Now that's the doctor, I believe, who was an obstetrician, a gynecologist. Very healthy, according to his wife, and... Uh, he was a pro-vaccination, he, he, he volunteered to take in. And when he was admitted to hospital in a few, a few days after, or a week, whatever, they said he had zero platelets for clotting in, in his blood, in his, in the, the, the blood, zero platelets. And he hemorrhaged to death. His, his immune system, like a cytokine storm, had started to alter, had altered to attack his own platelets and his body, which is a standard thing you'll get with this. I'm talking with that with vaccine injury, you often get that because it's meant to alter your immune system. Then your immune system can start attacking itself, either the wrists or whatever, like like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, or the spine. As I say, that's what I got years ago from booster shots. Anyway, there you go. That's that one there. But folk have no idea that you're living through an amazing drama, a massive planned stage play. It's meant to stay with you forever and, and embed itself in your mind. A form of psychodrama, as I say. And you, you, it's definitely a psychodrama when it's coupled with fear, terror, daily spewed out from the television, incessantly. And what you're going through too is a wartime scenario, as I've mentioned, right? A war on COVID, including the, 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 the um, TV series are bringing out too. It's a war, you know, it's a war scenario. And, and all the medical staff are at war with this and at war with that. All these nasty uh, viruses. All to save you, you know. And rationing might come up. We've got to pull together and tighten our belts and yada, yada, yada. Yeah? Total lockdown curfews in some places. It's just astonishing that they're using complete wartime scenarios for something to do, but it's nothing to do with invading people from another country. In a wartime reality, it's had to do with a virus that literally they say, you've got, most folk won't even know if they've had it. And if you've, if you've had it and you recover, most folk recover, they say that, you get more chance of being struck by lightning than you are with getting, with dying of COVID. Right? And yet they're closing, they're wrecking entire economies worldwide to bring you, and you're bringing you total sustainability when you're on ration cards, I believe you me. And they'll start recirculating the old, old documentaries from the, from the past news on World War II. And here's your ration for the week, you know. That's what they showed the British families. 
you could put the, the whole darn thing on a on a saucer. <laughs> here's, here's your scraping of butter. Here's your here's your one rasher of bacon. Here's your here's your yada yada yada. Uh, uh, tell you tell me malnourished people, starvation diets, and yet you're supposed to be happy as this as the, as you actually help them by starving yourself almost to death for the greater good. See, they must always get you to comply voluntarily with what they want you to do, even when they want to blame you. They want to, to make sure that you're getting trained to blame yourself for existing. Well, yeah, you know, I guess I don't really deserve to get treatment in the hospital. I'm, you know, I'm pretty well useless now anyway, you know. Uh, non-essential and, yeah, I'm, I'm useless, okay. And all the, and again, any ra- any slight raise that they found in the death, even though they've just come up with another article saying that the population, the death really isn't any higher than any previous year. Other ones you'll see are slightly higher. Depends what statisticians looking at it. And again, too, the use of statisticians uh, of so many vaccines put, given out, there's so many points, so-and-so's vaccines put out this day. And so this is straight out of the, the terminology you heard in Orwell's 1984 with loudspeakers constantly telling about statistics, statistics, how we're winning this, and so many personal uh, protection outfits, and blah, 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 blah. So many syringes, so many needles, so many swabs, you know. It's straight out of standard propaganda manuals. Uh, straight out of it. But as I say, you're living through it, and the, the agenda is a, to be a, a, a life, a, like a world-changing agenda, not just a life-changing. But out of it comes total sustainability. No business is to be allowed to open unless they claim it's, it's something. Who's the, who's the sustainable police that's going to come round and decide? They might not even have to see you. You know, they probably do it all remotely. And we don't need you anymore, you know, it's not sustainable, and you're not essential, so go away and die quietly, for goodness sake. Do the right thing, old boy, you know. That's how they make you do it. But you're living through amazing times. You can't get all these things happening at the same time in in the last year, even all at the same time, for the big change. You can't also have them them dancing on the tabletops, figuratively speaking. Or uh, from the World Health Organization, from the from the World Economic Forum, from the Club of Rome, uh, from the CFR, and from the World Wildlife Fund, and all the other organizations to do with sustainability. But you couldn't have them all dancing with glee that they can all work, all get ram all their agendas through together using COVID. And actually saying that, they can do this using COVID rather than climate change. Now they're combining the two. <laughs> ah, it's just astonishing. And that's what tyranny is, folks. You, you would not close down economies that are causing more deaths, and that might count for any, any, any rise in, in, in deaths for treatable diseases, by the way. They can't get into hospital, as you well know. Thousands of them, they've, they've got statistics from Britain and elsewhere on them. And you're supposed to just suffer it quite gladly because a couple of experts who obviously have CIA clearance too, if not in the CIA, it must be in the CIA actually, that level of working with biolabs like that, in charge of these things, telling you to stay at home and uh, just tighten your belt. Here's some statistics here that are verified as well from the so-called experts. 
in at least 80% of the cases, at least 80%, the virus produces either no symptoms or a mild cold-like illness. The infection fatality rate for COVID-19 is 0.15% to 0.2%, which is close to the seasonal flu, which is around 0.1% to 0.2%. Children have a greater chance of being struck by a lightning than dying of COVID-19. Adults are more likely to die in a car accident. Most of the population have no risk of dying from COVID-19. Studies show that 99.94% survive COVID-19 and will be resistant for a long time. So they've developed antibodies, you see. The people at risk from COVID-19 are clearly defined. And they're talking about the very elderly and, and comorbidities and so on. And should be protected with targeted measures. Children are not susceptible to it, nor do they transmit the virus. However, COVID-19 can be deadly for older and vulnerable people, so it's important to protect them. It'll help eliminate hospital overcrowding. Nevertheless, the average age of someone who dies from COVID-19 is 82.4 years. That's the average age, right, who dies of it, with comorbidities and so on. Comorbidities and and their pre-existing condition. This is actually higher. So the, the ones who are dying are about 82.4 years, right? This is actually higher than the average life expectancy in Britain, which is 81.1 years. <laughs> so there you go. Lockdowns prevent population immunity because the more it spreads and you don't get the symptoms or it's very mild, you end up getting immunity to it, you see, long term. But it was interesting from the beginning too, that Fauci and the rest of them completely dismissed the idea of, of, of catching it and getting your own immunity to it. It was just astonishing because the agenda was always from the beginning. Vaccination, vaccination. It doesn't, nothing else would work there, as far as you were concerned, which is rubbish because everyone who's had a PCR test and then a negative one has now got antibodies, if, if the PCR tests even work. Yeah, but what has facts got to do with big agendas, eh? It's just astonishing that folk, unfortunately, are listening to television and that that campaign of terror on them must, it really is driving folk mad and, and making them ill, definitely ill. And lots of folk are terrified to even attempt to go to a hospital. And the, just like the last, last time it happened in spring, last spring, they were dying at home and pain and all the rest of it, and they're told to stay there and not come into the hospital. They could even get painkillers. That's how they. That's how they really. That's that's your caring authorities for you. Yeah, I'm afraid you have to die at home in pain. You know, because if you come to hospital, you know you might bring COVID with you or catch it in the hospital. And you say, here you are <laughs> in agony. They're not terrible. Our caring society. The same politicians uh, that gave all your factories and ability to, to maintain a nation through work and employment gave it all away through free trade agreements and made you pay for it all. <laughs> they really care about you, don't they? They really do care, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's managed by script writers for perception management. Everything you see and read or hear. That's what a disgusting display. It's a, I just hope people will record so much of this that down the road, just like the character Winston in 1984, uh, leaving a message to the people of the future to tell them what happened in the past in his age.
I, I hope you're keeping records for this to show people down the road what was done to them, to bring them into a post-consumerist society, and to minimalistically, actually it's not sustainable, they want depopulation, don't they? The withdrawal of food, energy, all these kind of things, the withdrawal, withdrawal, bring you back into a 19th century state of living, poor hygiene, cold, etc. And you watch the same old childhood diseases suddenly emerge, which are really to do with bad hygiene and bad malnutrition, etc., poor nutrition. This has all been disclosed by them before on their wish lists. So anyway, hang in there and don't fall for everybody who's remaking themselves right now on the, on the net or whatever, uh, as they pretend had nothing to do with the, with the setting up that setup <laughs> at the Capitol building. It was a setup for sure. And remember that the, the whole world's against a stage. Right? And you're watching the biggest show on earth for a bigger agenda, a, a huge, all-encompassing world agenda to be rammed through. And folk have to regain their individuality and learn what that, that tongue is, is for once again, you know, to be used for any changes to occur for, to, to the, for the good, no doubt about it. Help each other out, no doubt about that too. you got to do it, folks, of small... Clusters to help each other out in bad times as, they, as the lockdowns get worse and worse And certain folk will get They're going to ban you from driving on the road <laughs> They've already said that They don't want to do away with the, with the combustion engine you know, Because that was always the agenda for the 21st century No private vehicles to be owned huh? And it's going to start, they're going to start just On one part And keep changing the goalposts to, to include more and more and more But they're starting with the gasoline engine and to get them off the road. And then, of course, eventually you're left with electric cars, which honestly, in Canada, northern Canada, here in the cold, they, they won't hold their charge for that long. How many people out there can change, afford to change their batteries every four years? Multi-thousands of dollars. It's not intended you on forever, you see, that way. Agenda for the 21st century wanted essential vehicles only. You'll be locked down in your own community. Be part of your community. Here's the boundaries to your community. You see, that's how it's all been set up in advance. You're, you're being forced into it now with different guises. And it must be believable, you see. And you better, you've been ordered now to believe it or else. <laughs> all of it. I mean, all of it. Absolutely all of it. <laughs> so it's quite, quite fascinating to, to live through it and watch the bizarre of uh, almost the strange hallucinogenic presentation of all. That's really what it is, isn't it? With the psychic driving and being told not to think for yourself and not to come to conclusions that you would come to by observing this and that, but believe what they tell you. And, and, and then they're threatening you. If you get, to get, if you get wrong perceptions, they're going to threaten you. You can't have those perceptions. Yeah, that's, that's forbidden. The thought police indeed, eh? Yeah. And the whole social credit score system is, in, is, un, is there, is there, folks. You know? And you always find at the end of anything, you always only have each other to help, help each other out. That's it. 
If you think that government's going to keep dishing cash out to you without asking for anything back, you well, good luck, good luck. I don't know what, what fairy stories you were brought up on, but uh, eventually the, the paper calls the tune, as they say, and you dance to the, to the tune. And each thing you accept from government is a condition. You don't realize there's conditions to everything. And they will be wanting the cash back one way or another, or demanding you do certain things, or else... It's like blackmail in a sense. If you want this, you know, we'll, you know, not blackmail, but coercion is what the real term for it. If you want this, then here's the conditions to it. And here's all the hoops you have to jump through. And here's the things you must agree to. You see? What an amazing time. You've got, to, you've got to admit it's an amazing time, isn't it? To witness it all. As I said in 2001, the hardest thing would be to hold on to your sanity. Because I saw all the changes that were going to ram through. And here it all is. <laughs> and remember, too, I'm going to put up some links to short documentaries where people in their their fields of expertise, mainly doctors and so on, discuss what's happening today with uh, the pandemic. And also another one, too, is called Ten Steps to Genocide. How you, uh, it's really interesting to see how What's happening today has happened in the past because there are definite sequences of formula introduced step by step to bring in what's t- you always demonize an enemy and go through different steps, ostracize them from all the, the rights that they have within a society, expel them from having free speech and things like that, demonize them, and then, then of course you end up with uh, what's generally thought about as being the unthinkable. This unthinkable thing has happened even in ancient times to the present, because it's definitely a formula, and we're witnessing it today. We've been witnessing it for a long, long time. Even in the 90s, it was rather evident building up to it from the actual authorities, because genocides on any particular people happen from at the top down. So it's interesting. I'll put it up, 10 Steps to Genocide. And and you can look up uh, the histories of genocide for yourselves. Anyway, remember, folks, send a few bucks my way, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see how to do it there, how to send it to me. And um, I can't get the books out just yet because we're total lockdown, eh? Not non-essential. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually we'll get, get through some way or another. So just have patience and, and hang in there. We're all hanging in there, aren't we? So from myself, I'll walk from Ontario, Canada, as good nights and your God or your God's go with you. 